Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefers Initiative. This is the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy the show. I'm ready. I don't know if you're ready. I was born ready. I like how you look like Darth Maul if he was from Jersey with your hoodie there. Thank you. This is my stiff hoodie. I need to get me one of those hoodies still. I'm going to buy me one at some point. It looks nice and thick. Of course, I'm going to order when it starts warming up here. It was like 70 here yesterday, dude. It was obnoxiously warm for January. Yeah, it was... uh, Today it was like 50, so... I was going to say, it was 86 yesterday. I was going to go herping, and I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like it. Who knows? And then this morning, it was like 60-something, and now it's 60-something. And I'm like, ah, I should have gone. Missed my window. You know, it's funny, because Rob was on uh, our Canadian Brethren's podcast, Canadian Herpeticulture podcast, and he mentioned, you know, shows talking about the weather and stuff in the beginning, and he, he brought up a good point with that, with, you know, like, yeah, it is kind of sort of the the default setting of intros and stuff to just talk about the weather. But he brings up a good point in that, you know, we as hurt people, like, I'm sure it's interesting to hear. Like, I had a buddy who sent me a picture of a cane break that they found the other day. It wasn't that really nice one that was under that tin. I th- might have been. In, did, was did, it uh, no, I don't know who the guy was, but did Thomas send it to you? He may have. I, think wasn't I'm pretty sure I mean, it, was it wasn't Thomas that found it, but it's no, just no, interesting because, yeah. you know, we're finding, people are finding cane breaks here, and Rob, I'm sure there's, everything's just buried under snow out your way. Or yeah, I mean, our snow it. doesn't stick like that, but it's, uh, for the most part, we, we have a little bit of snow because we got Monday night, there it was snowing. The bigger bummer for he, here when we get that is just that it was windy and cold. It was like single digits, and, you know, you got a stiff breeze, and you feel it then. I'm a short guys, 42 kind of guy, so it's, you know, you just got to have shoes on once you get you know, yeah. going over the sandals, you know. That's awesome. But uh, that, that was cold. Did you guys see the alligator basking in snow? Yeah. Dude, that was wild. crazy. Where was Where that? Where was that? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> so. Somewhere snowy, somewhere cold. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's the moisture content, really, that makes a ton of difference. Is like so here it's so dry that it can be as I say shorts in thirty degrees and it's not that bad but you know in mm-hmm. Florida when it's forty it's uh, pretty miserable. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I have been going out in the glades at, uh, at least once a week now with one of my buddies doing like cooking out, enjoying the weather, looking at the stars, and uh, it's crazy, man, because it'll only be like sixty and you'll be shivering. Yeah, and like. I mean, I'm from Jersey, so like it, it gets cold up there, you know, but not as cold as where you're at. But I'm like, man, it's only 60. Why am I shivering? It's just because there's so much humidity. It's still 80% humidity and 60. And it's like, ugh. Yeah, it's entirely different. Belgium's the same way. You know, I'd go and I'd be the only person in shorts, which is sort of Europe anyway. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're looking at me like I'm nuts. And it's maybe it's 50, 55, something like that, getting into the evening. But it is 60% humidity and it's cold. You know, even I have to admit, you know, standing there cold. Well, you know, it it makes sense because, I mean, you think about the heat in the summer, like here in the south, the heat is brutal because of the humidity. 
like yeah. out west, it's dry heat is is not nearly as brutal as as like the humid heat where the air is just super thick and suffocating. And I assume it's the same, you know, with the colder weather. Like it's going to be colder because we have the higher moisture content. You know, it's. Yeah. Did you did you ever go in Bruges? Yeah, actually. So yeah, Bruges, Ghent, um, Antwerp. You know, I as a kid, I would go there quite a bit because so my buddy, when I lived in Budapest, his uh, my best friend was from Belgium. And so I had moved back to the States and he moved back to Belgium around that same time. I had moved back to the States a little previous. And then after that, alternating summers, I would go there. He would go uh, come here to the States. And so, yeah, I was from a kid doing it. And then most recently, this was maybe three years ago or so was, the you know, it had been seven or eight years since I'd been. So it was really good to go, go back and see it again and see it with that different perspective, you know, That's awesome. and dip into the, the beer a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I I famous the, uh, yeah. The fruit you, beer. Oh, so go ahead. I was going to say, you've seen the movie in Bruges, right? So I, I've seen the clips associated with it and we were at that place and all, you know, that uh, yeah. square and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. I hadn't, I haven't seen the movie properly now, but oh, uh, I know what you're saying. Classic. Sure. It's a cool classic, man. But, uh, yeah, no, so I, and I famously love the Lambics, you know, the fruit beer. That's a, a solid to me. And those things, the funniest bit, right, is over there and it's uh, presented as, oh, it's, you know, it's a girly drink or whatever. And I'm like, it's eight or nine percent, man. Come on. <laughs> you know, and, and it tastes cool. Just, so, you know, they whatever. miss the, the most important thing is that it's delicious. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, who cares? Awesome. Like, it, it's manly because it's delicious. Also, oh, well, I just had six of them. So, you know, that's... that's <laughs> That'll do it. So, yeah, on, six that points note, or whatever. on that note, Justin, don't we have some beautiful sponsors we should bring up? We do have some beautiful sponsors that they should, we should bring up, and that is Steve Snakesuary and his Venom Hot Sauce, which is awesome. Cottonmouth Sauce is where it's at. That is my top pick of his lineup. And Sean at MP Cages and Exotics. If you need an awesome rack for chondros like I have, or you need an awesome venomous rack like Phil got, which is yeah. light years ahead of everybody else in racks. I know there's somebody else making venomous racks. I haven't I haven't looked at them to see how, how they compare, but from what I've seen of yours, Phil, it is absolutely ace. It's it's top notch. I've actually been using it so much that one of the <clears throat> excuse me, one of the locking mechanisms started to come undone because I didn't fasten it appropriately. So I learned real quick that six inch long needle nose pliers are not long enough to evade the strike range of a tremerserus. I didn't get, I didn't get tagged, but it was, it was, it was sketchy to say the least. So always make sure that when you're installing locks properly on your venomous enclosures, you do it without the animal in the enclosure and you do it with some kind of thread locker of some kind. FYI. What a concept. So but you this, made mention of this. I, I know from when you'd had it made and then the last show or two shows ago, whatever it was that uh, you alluded to it. How, so what's the setup on it again, in terms of the locking mechanisms and all that? I don't have the visual so, in my head. So basically it's a, it's a normal rack. It's a, it's, it's a normal rack for normal snakes. However, it is slightly more arboreal. It's a taller one because it's specifically for the Cambro tubs. Um, right. A lot of the Chondro guys, you know, those Cambros, you know, Browns has got a bunch of them. They're gorgeous. They're crystal clear. They're crystal yeah. clear. They, they barely scratch. Yeah. And, um, and they have the, the little lips on the inside. So mm -hmm. 
if you do get you know arboreal perches from Brahms, he makes one specifically for the camera to just kind of fit in there. Yeah. So I've got those in every single tub, and then it's uh, it's a white PVC rack with back heat and back LED lighting. Which hindsight, I think I should have maybe done top LED lighting, just because when the lights are on, it it casts so much out the front of the cage yeah. that it's almost blinding. Mm-hmm. It makes it very difficult to take pictures. But regardless, the, the enclosure is gorgeous. But the way the locks work, um, there's a threaded piece that goes into basically a washer or nut. And the, the, the lock itself is a bolt. So that locking, that bolt with the lock inside it, threads inside of a nut, which is recessed into the shelf of the, the drawer. Right. And then the keyhole is like a, almost like a bicycle lock, the circular yeah. one with a little peg on it. And you push in and turn it. And when you do that, the locking mechanism unlocks and a pin pops out the top. Nice. And now it's unlocked. So you can pull the drawer in and out. The pin is sticking out. When you push the pin down, it pops out the bottom, preventing the drawer from opening. Nice. It's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant system. Now, yeah, that's would it cool. would it work on something like a V70? You'd probably need two or maybe even three of them, just because they are very right. very tiny. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But because the cameras are only oof, maybe ten or eleven inches wide at the front, or I should say on the short end, uh, it's fine having just yeah. one peg in the middle. It works. Nice. That's very yeah, cool. Really like yeah, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. The, uh, the only ones I've seen are the single stick, you know, so that if you got like a four, you know, a four by yeah. four, something like that, and you got the four holes that'll come on, you know, but, or even mm-hmm. ones that'll go onto a hinge flap, you know, right. That's holding it, holding it steady mm-hmm. so that it's really, it's three on a four. Something like that, but yeah, uh, that's how cool he was, on a tub by tub level. Yeah, when he was doing like when Phil sort of explained to me the concept, I was like, "Man, that's going to be tough to do." But like, it seems like Sean had zero issues making it happen. Yeah, I mean, he his he has that engineer's mind of just like, well, we can roll it, but why don't we just make a pulley? You know what I mean, like that kind of mind. And uh, originally, I had drawn up a rough sketch of doing like those showcase locks where when you turn the key, the, the blade comes out yeah. the side to prevent it. But the problem with that is it would have, the walls, the exterior walls of the rack would have to be almost two, if not an inch and a half thick, which is right. a big hefty thing. And now you're, you're, you're making more space with less surface area on the inside. So he yeah. started doing some digging and, and those pin locks came up and he was like, man, let me buy it. I, I don't remember how many he said he bought, but he bought like seven or eight different brands and right. gave it to like his six year old. And said, "Here, kid, break, it. break like break the it. ultimate R and D, right? The ultimate R and D, exactly. So the ones he went with, I don't even remember what brand they were, um, but they they last, man. They work, and like they're a little flimsy when they're when they're unlocked. Like if I took my fingers, I could probably bend it, but again, you're not exerting that force. You're just pushing right. it like a button on a keyboard. It's meant um, to keep it from coming out, right? Not, right, and it's know, ten times very grade, yeah." And even though those the rack systems that have the rod that go down the middle and you can put a padlock on top, although those are, in my opinion, way more secure because this is so small and frail, it's a pain in the ass because you have to take the whole rod out. You can't just open one drawer. You have to unlock all the drawers. So this gives me the versatility to unlock one drawer at a time. The only fault that is is when I do particular types of feeding or when I'm trying to pair stuff up 
starting to pair stuff up because tis the season. Um, I can't unlock the one above the one that's there because you can't pull the drawer out because now right. the one from below it is keeping it in. So right. that that's the only thing I didn't think about. So I had to choreograph my males and females so that I could have like basically males on one side, oh, females on the other. Yeah. Yeah. But it's working out really well. It's working out great. And believe it or not, I was worried about the white, the white being a dirt magnet. And it's, it's really not. not. It's really yeah. not. Yeah. I've actually come to prefer it now. Like it makes my room less dungeonous. I guess all that light off and stuff. Yeah. And it just yeah. gives it more openness. I'm sold on the white thing now because I was the same way. I was like, man, white gets just it gets gross quick. You know, dust or anything gets on it. It's forever. We'll see. Bleach it. I was coming from the white vision cages because I have all my visions are gray except for one. I have one of the old white ones and it's just yellowed. You mean you the, the amber ones, the amber model? Yeah, yes, the amber model, exactly. It's just yellowed and the cage is still perfect. It's flawless. It's barely bowed. There's no cracks or dents or melt points or anything, but the damn thing's just pee yellow. It's ugly. It's ugly. It's just, uh, you know, it's the non-fixed plastic, right? It was the non-color stable plastic. Yeah, yeah. And I do like it because it's way more translucent in terms of like light transmission. So like that one cage has Ethiopian Cobra in it and it gets so much more light even through the side wall where there's no right. there's no window access or anything. But this the, the Cobra will actually bask, even though there's 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 nothing to bask under, you know, but he sees the light. <laughs> so he, he sits out there. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it gets to the eternal issue, whether it's the weather and the barometric pressure and all this stuff. They're perceiving so much more, you know, they can tolerate all these different things. And that's what we often operate on. But it's the, you know, cosmic octopus idea, right? That it's just like there's so much going on that we can't even it's too complicated to even comprehend all the different factors that are going. You know, there's there's too many inputs and we can try and manage. You can mitigate and manage the ones that you can. Some of it is just, it is what it is, right? Your barometric and stuff. Yeah. But uh, you just try and utilize it. But man, they, they perceive so much. It's crazy you mentioned them perceiving it. Like, so for example, uh, uh, a couple, most people don't know, I'm actually babysitting a pair of Timor pythons for Casey. And uh, they're probably maybe four months old, um, maybe, maybe three guy. and a half, little guys. And uh, I have them set up in tubs, right? And I've had them probably about a week, maybe 10 days or so. And I was like, oh, it's time to feed them. I was like, but I observe them every night simply because, let's face it, they're not mine. I don't want, I don't want to kill the damn things, you know? <laughs> and uh, I noticed that every night they've been cruising around, just, you know, spelunking. Yeah. And I was like, man, I wonder if my temps aren't right. I don't know if they're trying to find heat because I do have a little cooler than they probably would like. But I was like, you know what? Let me try and feed them because I hadn't fed them yet. And they took right off the bat. And I was like, this is it. I, I, I watched them looking for food, you know? So, and then Conquers, I went, man. Yeah. And then I went looking on a, a, a couple of different weather apps. And I actually sent the, the weather pics from uh, in the group chat that we're in. And I was looking at different cities in Timor. And it's literally the same exact temperature as South Florida. So I was yeah. like, this is perfect. <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I see the same thing. I've had a pair. Well, that's, you know, it's a snake that I have such mixed feelings on. I want to love them. They're so beautiful and soft. Um, and I don't mind stuff that's a little bit uh, fussy and all in terms of maybe flinging shit on you and all, but, uh, and I've just running a little bit. Um, 
so I've had them. This is the ones that I have now are probably the fourth or fifth pair that I've had. Just, you know, you get like, or I'll get two pair and then it's like, uh, three it's like years down track. Or I buy one yeah. and then after a couple months I sell it and then I'm like, man, I miss having a base. And so I go and buy another one. Yeah. So it, these ones I've had for, I guess going on four years, something like that. And keeping them in, they like those tight tubs, man. And you'll see it. Uh, I just moved them into cages and it's like, yeah, it's going to take a shed, at least a shed for him to get back to normal in terms of coming out, you know, I'll catch him at night. Very occasion. It's like, okay, I'll catch this one, catch that one. But yeah, in terms of being in the same tub for, you know, having them in decent sized tubs and being in the same routine for, you know, three years, three and a half years or whatever, they, uh, they definitely know and they'll definitely eat then, you know, it's just, it's that sense of normalcy where it was like shifting them out of that tub, right. changing all the, all the detail, you know, all the cork and all this stuff. So everything was fresh coming into this. And it's one thing if you add a, a fresh piece of cork, right? All your critters are going to check that out all day long. Even the nocturnal stuff, you put that in there in the middle of the day, they'll come out and they'll check it out all day long, just cruising around. But if you put something more nervous, like the Timors into an entirely new space, save maybe the water bowl you can bring over or whatever they're, man, they're just going to shut down for a shed cycle or two and just be like, See, okay, I need to come to come to grips. That's like, that's been my experience with some green trees. You know, they did great in a smaller tub and it's like, all right, well, you're probably due for something bigger and you move them in there and they just don't, it doesn't convert. It just, they don't do well. And it's the same thing. Like I was saying, you know, when I messaged you the other day about moving that Jansen, I female into a bigger, set up you know a i remember you talking about when we had you on the show to talk about ganyasoma you know saying you know if they're in something a little smaller and they're doing well like there's really no need to change it but at the same time like she does need something bigger but i'm worried that when i do that's going to happen and she's just going to completely nosedive and everything's just going to go to shit and so now it's like being worried you're gonna you're gonna sort of bump that stand that that ancient chinese vase is on and it's going to fall over and you're going to break so you try not to even breathe on it <laughs> but did you move all her decor too? I'm gonna, but she just needs more because that what you know what she's going to be going into, which is that female right. green trees four foot cage. That's probably twice like volume in sidewise, like cubic volume. It's probably twice what she has now. You know, so it's like I really got to pack it out. And of course, I went to Walmart this morning, and they didn't have any of the you know the fake ferns and stuff that I usually load up on, um, just because those work so well for for filling up space. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I need to, I want to go through and really disinfect that cage thoroughly more than, I mean, I hit it today with a bunch of chlorhex and wiped it down with disinfecting wipes and a bunch of other stuff, but I still want to do it again just in case. Yeah. But at least you have like a found a, a scent foundation with the decor that she already has. Right. You know? right. And it's like those, uh, those Timors are in fresh. Yeah. yeah, those Timors are in fresh sterilites with their own gasket lids, mm -hmm. just because I wanted to keep them isolated. Because again, they're not mine. I, you know, I'm paranoid. Right. And uh, I think I'm just going to give Casey the whole tubs with our, all their stuff, and just be like, take it. Mm -hmm. You know, when they get bigger, give me the little hides back or whatever. You know. Because I, I mean, I do do that with the beards and stuff when I move them into bigger tubs. Like I take that old bedding that they were on, and they're you know, say it's like a six quart, like a yearling going into like a thirty two from a six. Um, like I dump that old bedding in there and I take their hides and the same water bowl and everything and put it in there. And I mean, obviously those are going to have, those are going to be an issue. Like those are going to adjust fine, whatever, you know, just like same with the corns. They're not going to care. Um, but I, in my experience with some of the green trees and stuff, you know, I move them over and they just, 
Like I, I literally had to move one of my Bioc males back into a smaller tub because when I upgraded him to one of those 200 quarts, he was okay for the first few weeks, but after a while he just stopped eating. I was like, okay, that ain't normal. And so I put him back in a smaller one, covered the sides, you know, blacked it out. And after a week or so, we went right back to normal and he's still in that smaller tub and he's still doing fine. But it's just one of those things. It's like, man, like, it, like we're, we're, when, when is the right time? Like, it's just one of those things where you just don't, you don't know where it's like jump rope, you know, finding the right cadence to, to be able to hop in and double dutch. Yeah. I think part of it is just having them, you know, knowing that it's coming and it's kind of like, okay, am I seeing the things the right way in terms of, okay, if come a shed, you know, if they're not consecutively getting better in terms of the activity that they're showing or the patterns they're showing in this stuff, then, okay, then you reevaluate and you go back and you toss them back. What you're talking about with that BIOC where it actually seemed to transition and then went backwards, that's when you really got to bump back to where you were, I think. Whereas if you're if you're going, you move them, and they're not giving you that stimuli, but they're slowly working towards doing it, then you're probably, that's probably a time to wait. But if it he actually ate three times in that, and then he stopped eating, yeah, you're probably yeah. going to go back. It was odd, because I was like, okay, cool, he's doing fine. And then he's like, nope. And when that's like, I mean, with chondros, period, if they refuse a meal, something's up. <laughs> like, healthy chondros do not refuse food. And like, in my experience, like, I'm sure the same has been for you, Rob, but <clears throat> the moment a chondro refuses food, that's when I start looking around and panicking a little bit because it's like, all right, something ain't right because they do not do this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much right. You know, the, the funny bit, so in terms of my chondro stuff, one thing, Jason Stevens would always get upset that I would send him these pictures of these beautiful chondros and they were all sitting on the floor of the tub because I had it as a floor heated tub in my room. And so they're mm -hmm. always, you know, they're always on the ground. There's no fear about, oh, they're grounded. It's, uh, they you know, there's a little stick that's an inch off and they'll hang out on that, but they don't mind at all being on the paper and all this stuff. And then they'll climb up the things, you know, as they feel, feel fit. But he said, stop sending me pictures of all these chondros that are sitting <laughs> on the ground. It's making me uncomfortable. Don't you know if they're <laughs> on the ground, they're just going to die. Don't you know that? Well, he just, it just visually, you know, offended him. So I thought it was funny. I was like, yeah, fair enough. You know, well played. Look, put but it on the perch before you take a picture. Right. That same, I mean, that, that same male that was being odd, he'll do that every now and then. And then the male that's under him will do the same thing every now and then. And it's like the first time that I, I really got nailed by one of the green trees was that that one of those Bioc males. He was under the puppy pad. And so I lifted it up, not knowing his head was like right there. And he absolutely <laughs> just nailed me right on the right on the blade of my hand. And I was like, oh, OK, well, you're fine, clearly. Uh and so every now and then I'll see them like they're under the puppy bed and I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm like, I know you're fine. Cause you'll be back on that perch in the morning or whatever. But at first it is kind of one of those like, Oh crap. Cause there's been a couple of times where I found dead chondros under puppy pads. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's not normal. And then I look and I'm like, shit, they're dead. So of course, when I see one of the ones that's been doing fine since like day one under the puppy bed, I'm like, that ain't right. But now I'm just like, whatever. You're fine. I do think it goes to the same concept right of like all the different factors that we don't necessarily um take into play right and when we're talking about care in one place versus another this, to me it's like well why would grounded chondros seem problematic to people kind of from you know trooper and eugene forward it's because they're all using 
uh, top-down heat, which is maybe maybe better, maybe not. I've never been a radiant heat panel guy, but maybe you have a basketball, a light water yeah. basketball bulb so they can sit not even direct under it. That's part of the key with that, right, is so they're not roasting as a monitor thing, you know, <laughs> and refracted also. Um, but if you're, you know, so if they're viewing it that way, the thing is going away from the heat and maybe that's indicative of stress. And if it's going under this puppy pad, okay, it's literally hiding away in the coolest spot. That's, yeah, that's what I thought. thing is heated from the bottom, then it's like, okay, well, yeah. we're just, it's an entirely different situation. So it being on the ground means something entirely different because that's actually the warmest place as opposed to the coolest or the back versus the front, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And that's, so me, that's what's, that's what's interesting about those two males is that smaller male that's been, that was the odd one that got bumped up and then got bumped back down to a bigger or a smaller tub. He's on top of one of the males, but he's like closer to the ceiling than anybody else. And he doesn't have any heat. Like I don't have a heat panel on him. I don't have a heat pad on him. If it gets really cold and I feel like the room got, it gets a little chilly. I'll put a heat pad under him on one end. Um, but other than that, he doesn't have heat. So he stays in like the upper seventies most of the time. And I have no issues. Um, and then like that female that I lost recently, she used to hang out on the hot end all the time. And so I'd be like, okay, maybe she's too cool. So I'd bump up the bump up the heat a little bit. She still wouldn't move. And so I'm like, okay, you know, turn it back down. Still wouldn't move. So I'm like, that's just where she likes to hang out. You know, it goes back to like reading that snake. Like you check these things and if nothing seems to change, like clearly that's just the person that, you know, the preference of that animal. Um, right. And maybe so it, there's something about that spot, whether it's the moisture yeah. or lack thereof, or who the heck knows, man, you know, or the way she's perceiving you in the room from that spot. There's just, you know, there's so much that we don't know and can't even perceive. But I guess the, the question is like, at what point is like, are we overdoing it with like caring? Like I've, I've talked to you about it before, especially on the conjure cast, like caring them to death where we worry about every little thing. And eventually that just that constant stress of us checking on them and adjusting things and moving things like at what point is enough enough? Cause I mean, at the same time I've had chondros like that female that did fine for years. I never had a single issue with that animal, no problems whatsoever. And then she refused food and I was like, okay, you know, I was expecting ovulation anyways. So I was like, no big deal. She refused food. Cool. I'm getting eggs soon. And then, you know, the prelation never came, um, never got eggs. She still refused food. Then she started looking like she had an RI. And so then it was like, she just went downhill from there. And it was like, well, I mean, like what gives? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the shed thing, I know you, we had chatted about that a little bit. It's, you know, that's, one of those things that could be normal or could be indicative of a problem, you know, like you saw in your situation, right. it's, you know, if everything had gone, gone and come to pass normally, then it'd be like, Oh yeah, that's one of these. That's the 5% that just, yeah, you just don't get, one. you know, mm -hmm. yeah. It didn't get, maybe it just didn't get, have a really big pronounced ovulation. So it wasn't enough to induce that shed or whatever, you know, it happens, yeah. but in the context, you know, knowing, knowing what wound up happening in your situation, it's like, okay, in this case, it was indicative of maybe systemic issues that she was having. You cut her open or no? No, but I mean, when she, when she passed, you could definitely, I counted three. I mean, there was, there was eggs. There was three okay. main bulges. They were all separated by a pretty decent margin. So that's what I thought was odd, mm -hmm. but they were definitely eggs. Cause I mean, I palpated them. They were, you know, they were firm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, so maybe that's the, like, the rupture. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Or one of them, you know, a uh, a follicle that popped or something and went mm -hmm. septic on it or, you know, and that's just sort of, I don't know, man, I don't think that's indicative of a problem 
you know, in terms of what you're doing. I think it's just the luck of the draw. It's going to become dead snakes, you know? Yeah. I also think that, like, a lot of us don't think about the, I don't want to say decor, but, like, the materials that we use in the enclosure, whether they be natural or false or whatever. But like, I, I never I never did Condros, I never bred Condros, but like when I worked for Jay Eaton, he always did Condros, he loved Condros. And like, we had everything with lamp heat just cause it worked, you know? And I remember that there was one enclosure that had a pair and they just stopped basking. And I was like, why are they doing this, you know? So right. I started looking at stuff and like, I went to grab, we had like those fake not rubber, but those foam vines that you yeah. can like bend. Yeah. And we, I had a bunch of those in the middle and, uh, <clears throat> and I go and I grab it to move it. And I was like, Whoa, it's hot. And it's because whatever that foam was, it would absorb the heat from the lamp and just stay hot. So I took that out and put a piece of grapevine and they were up there like an hour later. Right. So it's just like, like we don't always think about like the stuff that's in there retaining heat or retaining cold or whatever. You know, or holding moisture to the point where it's mm. uncomfortable to sit on it, you know? I mean, I don't like keeping my green trees super warm anyways. Like, aside from the youngster, I mean, really, like, my hot spots, even on my smaller ones, it doesn't get above 85. Like, I usually keep mine, like, low 80s just because I'm a firm believer that they don't need to be kept that warm. Yeah, um, and I think I think this was just a classic case of the whatever the material was, it retained that heat. Mm -hmm. So, like, even though the, the hot spot was probably 82, 83, that thing was probably 90 95 because it just soaked in the heat whatever yeah. it was threw that shit away that's crazy man yeah well i mean it makes sense in the chondro context right you're not talking about an indigo right that's going to come mm -hmm. out and totally blast out or a, a goanna you know that's going to come out totally blast out and then go go back in you're talking about at best appled stuff on a nocturnal critter in an environment yeah. that has a ton of you know, be it sticks, you know, whether it's wet or dry season, right? Maybe it's a bunch of leaves and they're really hardly getting anything save for, you know, maybe if they're seeded out, right? But not a ton of movement right? And dry, then they're getting more, right? Because there's less of that cover. But at the same time, it's a, a nocturnal critter that's probably avoiding that heat. Having been mm -hmm. not the, not that far up, but having been, been to, you know, cans and into Chiligo and stuff that it's uh, a dane tree, that sort of thing. It's yeah, it's pretty toasty, man. And there's a reason that those are coming out later. And it's because they're not said to be you know, really, really burn hot critters, you know? They're yeah. And I love like a run and stuff like or twip. Yeah. I've, I've come to the conclusion with a lot of that kind of stuff. Like there's, there's the temperatures you read about and the temperatures you assume a place is supposed to be. And then there's what I call the operational temperatures, which is, you know, like the Boiga, like Dan Maleri just posted that video at his new place in Thailand. He found Cyania like right outside his front door. And I think he said it was like, what, in the 60s or something? And these young Cyania were out and about. So it's like, are we really like, I don't keep my Boiga that warm either. Same thing as the Chondros, really. I mean, I don't anything. I don't I don't they don't go anywhere above like 85. Um, and I mean, there's been a few nights where my females unplugged her heat panel. And she, they do fine. Like I, it's one of those things where I, I just, I think a lot of species, and I'm coming to find this over time, is just that a lot of species really don't need to be kept nearly as warm as, as we're under the impression they they need to be. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, hundred percent. And the cooling that they can tolerate. I mean, it's you know seeing West Indian boas, the Timors. Uh, all this stuff that is sitting out, you know, the ambient room temps in the mid 60s and they're sitting out ready to take a meal, 
you know, just want, you know, hunt actively yeah. hunting for it, sitting there doing a dangle or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's an entirely, we wouldn't, the preconception we have, well, heck, I mean, you remember the, you know, going back even 10 or 15 years ago, if, oh, if a ball python gets below 70 degrees, it's going to die. Well, I can tell you that's not the case because I, you know, bred them in that room that gets to 63, you know, in midwinter or whatever, you know, the ambient will get to 63 and they're sitting there with just access to heat tape and they'll eat too, man. You know, yeah. and to me, Phil, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. I always feel like when you talk about how well something's eating, if you can feed it a missized then usually missized small. So that if you can feed like a five foot ball python, like a weaned mouse and it takes it and pounds it and eats it, no worries. It's like, okay, you're really soft. You're, you're a snake that wants to eat, you know, that yeah. it's uh, people often, everyone's so anxious to get them big and do all this stuff. And, and I think it's partially too, just the price, right? People, it's like, oh, sure. would I rather feed two mice or feed you know one larger size rat that costs one and a half times a single mouse and it's like well i always go with the rat and well i don't know that that's that's really the right call on that stuff and it leads people away from saying hey heck i have a large hopper you know that i'm trying to feed to a oh i don't know you know same thing you give it to a timor or something and it's like yeah, yeah they'll take it man even when yeah. they're four and a half five foot long yep and i always attribute it to to like, I don't want to say myself because I'm a fat bastard. <laughs> like, I can eat a whole pizza, but I'll feel like crap. Yeah. But if I have like two slices, I'm good, you know? And then if I have two slices later, I'm good too. So I would rather give, if something's capable of taking a small rat, I'd rather give it like a wrap up on Monday and then like another wrap up on, say, Thursday. And then that's my, my small rat for the week, you know? I'd rather yeah. space out, you know? And then a lot of these species that are high metabolism, like I don't want to say, you know, Dramarcon or some of like Sippo snakes or like some of the racers and stuff, it's they need those small meals often, man. So like you, yeah, it can pound a large rat. Like an indigo can pound a large rat and be good for God knows how long, but that's not how it's designed. And they're not moving, they're not cruising, they're mm -hmm. not going and go for burrows, they're not crossing rows, they're not going through the palmetto scrub, you know, or the sagebrush of the West. So they're just sitting there chilling, you know. So it's like, do I want to eat the whole pizza in one sitting and be fat and full and just sit on the couch? Or do I want to have two slices and, you know, go do something fun? That's how I look at it. And at the same time, it brings up to me the, so the idea of seasonal feeding, right? And it even within itself or it's seasonal or uh, within that kind of burst feeding. And this is the point that you're making, you know, and it, it's different for Boyd's than it is for diurnal colubrids, but, uh, if you're talking about Boyd's, right, Josh Parker came on to NPR and gave a great talk on the up and down regulation of the, all of the heart and all the organs associated with consuming a meal. And so his strategy as he presented it was, well, I'm going to feed them not more than once every three weeks because I want them to completely up and down regulate. Mm -hmm. My own take is a little bit different in the sense that I'd rather keep them up, you know, it's give them small items, keep them up. And then fast them out for like three weeks, three to six weeks. Instead of I, the worst thing we can do right on the Boyd snakes is to feed them every week. Right. Yeah. Cause that, that just doesn't make any sense. So that I have stuff where it's like those West Indian bows, the Solomon Island tree bows, that sort of stuff when they're ready to eat, which is honestly, it's three or four times a year and it'll be a month to six weeks at a time. And it's like, I'll feed them five times, you know, 
three days in a row, skip three days, feed them two days in a row, two skip two days, just based on what they're doing, just solely responding to them, but giving them small items and just like, okay, but this is their time to eat. And then they'll eat nothing for three months and they don't even have an interest in it. They're not sitting there trying to do it. It's like, keep them up, feed them. And then as opposed to, to me, as opposed to consistently up and downing them, because I, I feel like that's, I don't know. That's what makes sense to Yo-yo me. I think it, obviously yeah. both, can, both can work, but um, yeah. you're, you're essentially giving them that, that, that high and low metabolism throughout the week or throughout the month or whatever, much like they'd be getting in the wild. And like there was a paper I read from I want to say like the late seventies, and it was a uh, it was a research paper done by the cane the sugarcane farmers of Queensland, and they it was all about anti taipan stuff because it's one of the first anti venoms out there is because cane workers were dying and they didn't want to lose payroll you know, so like I'm reading this paper and it basically was saying that you know the coastal taipan that they used in this survey or whatever was lucky if it had ten mice a year, and like. That's crazy because we give stuff a mouse a week or every couple of days, and it's not in the cane fields of Queensland cruising, evading predators, you know. And then I look at a guy like Matt Somerville with his Ingram right. eye. Yeah, that's, that's like, me, Matt Somerville. Yeah. yeah, and like he said, he's like, yeah, I fed it three mice in eleven months, and it's like, whoa, and it thinks have happy and healthy. So it's crazy. Yeah, we overthink it, like Justin said. We 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 helicopter mom. I know I'm doing but, it with a couple but, of mine right now. Right. It's the classic. Okay. Well, things can't be that bad if it's taken feed, you know, it's, it's the response. It's that, you know, feedback loop of saying, okay, well, at least I'm getting the positive for activity that I'm taking as a positive sign. And I think that's probably right. Most stuff that's not doing well probably isn't going to eat. So it, it's not that that's wrong. It's just, you could do that when you're starting, particularly with babies and stuff, you can do that. It's no worries, but over the long term, if you just always do that same thing, that's when. Yeah. I mean, it's the the other thing with Matt Summer. You know, he had the one that then died, and it was full of fat bodies and all this stuff yeah. on yeah. slightly more meals than these other ones that look fine. It's just their ability is amazing, and that's a diurnal. You know, that's an entirely different. That's not even a void, right? The mm-hmm. the process yeah. on that thing would be much faster. Yeah, you think about like certain voids, like retaining fat for fear of there being food of a drought of food so like you have a species that for whatever reason it's identified that oh man it's it's that time of the year i need to bulk myself up because i may not get another meal oh wait there's another meal i'll take it oh wait there's another meal yeah I'll take it. I'll that's take the problem it. with green it. trees and that's it and all of a sudden now they've got fat deposits everywhere and they've got childbearing hips on a cloaca so I've, I've had chondros literally go to go like after they finished eating, go back to their perch and start caught alluring again. Yeah. It's one of those things like you have to realize they're almost like drug addicts. Like they're, yeah. they're always going to make you think that they need it. <clears throat> and it's, I mean, that's like, that's, that's Darwinism. That's survival. That's the adaptability of like, I have to be ready to eat at any point in time because I don't know when I'm going to eat again, even right. though I just ate like there's, there's that drive, especially with like, I think Morelia are a pretty good example, you know, carpets, period, green trees, you know, they're, they're always going to, they'll, they'll eat until it's literally coming. Like the line of mice is coming out of their body. Yeah. Yeah. They're not Oof. evolved to our test yet. Give it, you know, a few hundred thousand years and maybe they'll start. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
that is another thing that I've kind of like, I, I'm now at a point where most of my collection, if I don't remember the last time I fed it, it's probably time for it to eat. Right. You're a records guy or not a records guy. I guess this um, is the both of you. I mean, I do if it's stuff that is sort of out of the ordinary, like instead of documenting, I mean, if it's something that I'm planning to sell, I try to keep better records. Um, but like, you know, my adult male brettles, like, I think I fed him a, an adult mouse like three weeks ago. But he's also at a, he's at a body tone that's exactly where I want him to be. He doesn't need a lot of food. Like he's 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 still healthy. He's not losing any weight, and you know I, I have no other reason to to change that up. And it's just because he he's doing fine. I mean that's the same with a lot of the green trees and stuff too. I have some younger green trees that I I've intentionally cut back on a lot because they're just they're turning into little sausages and i know that's only that's only going to convert into bad things down the road you know yeah yeah i know for me i kept like when i first got into the indigo stuff i kept records because i was just being paranoid and ocd and like every poop every shed every meal every time i saw it drink every time i saw it sit in the water and i was like well, what am i doing it's been a year i'm out of my mind like the snake's fine just just leave him alone but then smitty gave me those bomb ass cards right and i had two of them and i was like i gotta save this for a special species that's like noteworthy of its observations you know of my observations of it and uh, i use them on the fuscus so uh -huh. like every, every feed every poo every shed well maybe not every poo but you know what i mean so i do it on them but other than that it's it's mental for the most part you know i'm pretty good about remembering what i fed and what i didn't so sometimes i'm like man when is that I have a Justin moment. <laughs> oh, golly. I love those but, cards. Uh, yeah. When you're yeah. writing death caves and stuff, you're, you, maybe you're going a bit far on the whole thing, but... Uh, yeah, I was out of my mind. <laughs> I was out of my mind. And then here's the funny part is when I got the Fuscus, everyone told me how just because they're water pythons, they don't go in the water. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to give them a basin big enough for them to like do a lap in, right? I figured like lengthwise, you know. And Scott told me, he's like, yeah, they'll sit there for a little while, but they're not like aquatic, aquatic. And I'm like, okay. And then the next day, they lived in that water, both of them, like clockwork. And I was like, oh God, they have mites. They have mites. They're gonna die. I'm gonna die. Like, this is the end of the world. My water pythons have mites. And they didn't. They just love chilling in water. And now it's like, honestly, I don't think it has any correlation with their shed cycle, but it's every like maybe five or six weeks now they'll be in there for like three days. Then they'll come out. I think it's just, just yeah. time to hydrate, time to moisturize, whatever. It's like pop when carpets, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Like that female pop when I had, she, she would live in that water bowl all the time. And I'm like first couple of weeks, I was like, Oh God, it's got mites. And yeah. I check there's nothing. And then like a week later, same thing buried in like hanging out in her water bowl, literally for like, two or three days at a time. And I'm like, all right, this isn't normal. And check again, no mites. So finally, you know, Jake's like, dude, they do that all the time. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, see, see, I had a mental thing with that. So I got into Poplin carpets way before I got the Fuscas, right? And they were doing that. And Jake would tell me and Billy would tell me like, no, nah, man, they're Poplins. That's what they do. IJs love to just chill in the water bowl. But I learned from Gila Monsters which is obviously a completely different animal, completely different climate that you can't give them a water vessel big enough for them to live in because it will change the thermodynamics of their body. And 
you're literally having the, the Gila monsters adapting, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, is adapting its temperature to the temperature of the water, which is going to totally F up its food cycle and, you know, respiratory system and everything. So ever since I did then, the Gila's are healthier. Yeah. Well, hundred percent. And to me, it's, you know, it strikes in, in the same way with the IJs, you know, I still go IJ based on yeah, IJ for life. Or the NPR, you know, whatever. Yeah, we don't need to we don't need to do that again. But uh, you know, the thing that jumps out to me both with the Fuscus and the IJs is that you're talking about something that obviously there it's just hugely seasonal, right? There's gonna be a season where there's a ton of water there. And that's whether you're talking about the Queensland stuff or, you know, the the northern territory that fog dam critters, that it's like, you know, if you're in the dry season there's not much water going. Right. And then, you know, in the wet, there's nothing, but yeah, there's all this water mm -hmm. hanging out. Then they're just trying not to get eaten by a croc, but you know, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm with you, man. And obviously the Gila's it's just, well, we get into, I think it was on the Canadian show, right. That we were talking so much about the difference in keeping Western stuff in Florida. Right. And it's saying, mm -hmm. Oh, with, the, you know, you'll remember Phil, the classic rosy bows. Oh, you can't keep water in with them or you put it in a day a week. And the same thing on the Senecolis and on the Bogertophis, you know, right. That, Oh, you can only barely have it in there. But yep. if you're in some place like, you know, that's 20% relative humidity, you better not do that. You're going to dry them out. Absent giving them, you right. know, on the Gila is giving them that microclimate where they can sure. through, through the surface of their skin, get some of that moisture, at least not, not be losing it. Right. If you're keeping them on Aspen in 20% relative humidity without water, you're going to have a piece of jerky pretty quick. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause uh, there's a bunch of guys that have Gila's in North Florida and uh, they made all their burrows in PVC pipe, just normal white PVC pipe. And what they're doing is, uh, I don't know if I'll be honest, I don't want to give them the credit and say that they knew it, but I should is that, sand will unknowingly go in the tube and then when they shoot a spray of mist down the tube just to make that microclimate the sand retains the moisture and the top surface sand is hot and dry and you know sandy and, and, and soft but in the in the burrow it's all clumped up and moisturized which mm -hmm. is awesome because now you now it's going to stay there it's basically acting like like moss almost yeah you know, my only concern is that sand harbors bacteria really, really well. Yeah. And now you have this wet, gross sand in there. How often do you got to scrape that out before it gets funky? Right. The, um, the subox that I have, I, I just, I give them a small, a much smaller water bowl than I do the other stuff. I figure that's like sort of the, the equivalent, like they have access to water. It's just not nearly as much as, you know, like the chondros, I use an oversized water bowl. And then with the subox, the bears, I keep the bears the same way I keep the corns. You know, they don't care. But like the subox, those definitely, you do want to keep those drier and not like they're, they're very susceptible to, to humidity and respiratory. Yeah. Funk, so. It's just like, uh, you know, people that live <laughs> in the Southeast US who want to get into Serastes, Serastes, or Serastes vipera. And you have this super duper arid species of snake mm -hmm. where, it doesn't rain for years at a time, but they get the moisture due in the morning and that's what they're licking or drinking or whatever. So like when we get Serastes in South Florida, just because the air is so humid, just on a normal day to day basis, they'll develop health issues. They'll die. So <laughs> they right, don't know what to do. Right. So what we did was we gave them extra sand and we burned them out with heat, like 150 watt. On a Aromastics. But yeah, 150 watt yeah, lamp on a bake. 20 gallon and just bake them but then you put them under an AC vent 
so that the wind is constantly going and now you're driving away the heat and the, the yeah. yeah and that worked like a charm man it did so it's just like cigars people are always like what should i keep my humidor at and i'm like here in the south we don't have to worry about that out west yeah, yeah they have a really hard time keeping their humidor humidors where they're supposed to be but down yeah. here whatever your dial says ignore it they're fine yeah those dials are garbage but. Oh my goodness! I prefer mine on the dollar on the on the dryer side, anyways. So, right? Then you do what I do and get pelicans, and they're too humid. But that's for another show. <laughs> yeah, it's not Monday. What are we doing? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but I was curious to get Rob's thoughts on uh, where you see the hobby going within the next five to 10 years. Do you see it? You see any major shifts happening in terms of like what people are keeping or do you think it's going to be more or less the same? Yeah, I tend to think that we're moving, you know, kind of in into more diversity, more kind of enjoyment stuff, right? In terms of saying, what am I actually getting feedback from that I enjoy? I think of Eric's dad, you know, right. And he's got his, uh, <laughs> And old, yeah, yeah, his emerald green skink, you know, Solomon, Solomon emerald green skinks, and an old, and all these different things, and saying, okay, that that feedback of watching it, and it's, you know, it reminds of a lot of different Australia. There are Australian skinks that do operate similarly, you know, those diurnal critters, and they're getting feedback and doing those in cages simultaneously. I would hope, you know, to me, it seems like all the, the even the Asian stuff, the stuff that we're used to, African stuff too, that we're seeing seeing less and less, it seems to me that we're seeing less and less imported critters and certainly less and less diversity. And so I would hope that people are kind of taking on some of those projects or at least experimenting with them to see if those are something that they're interested in doing and then trying to keep that pushing forward. I know, you know, it reminds me, Phil, you talking, you know, all the uh, cordylids, you know, right. In terms of all the stuff that I remember seeing that stuff, yeah. Cameron, get those things 15 yeah. years ago, you know, that, seeing that stuff and i don't see that stuff really now I, obviously you you'd have more exposure to that than i do and just being in florida maybe you're seeing stuff that i'm not seeing or aware of it's, but it's not it's niche as hell man but would you also would you say that because people are focusing on the more mainstream stuff but at the same time making more uh diverse environments in the home do you feel that that drives a curiosity towards the more obscure yeah, I would think so. I mean, and the hope would be, right, if maybe that's an extension, as you're saying, it's an extension of um, creating habitats rather than just keeping everything simply is that it it is opening you up to stuff that either wouldn't survive or wouldn't be as enjoyable in a more standard, a more sterile context in Iraq, whatever it would be that you either you're not getting that enjoyment or it actually is somehow detrimental. We don't even have to get the rack versus cage thing. It's like we were yeah. talking about it either on the show or before the show that it's really there's individual animal variation in that. There mm -hmm. is no singular answer. I'm not interested in a singular answer to that because right. it's the mites thing. It's like, oh, you haven't been keeping them long enough. You know, if you think that honestly, if you think only a cage or only a rack can work, it means you haven't done enough or tried enough different things That's or true. been exposed to enough different animals where even I have the same species and this one will tolerate and the other one won't it, it needs the the opposite mm -hmm. yeah yeah i don't know i just look at like facebook groups and stuff and like i'm in a ton of groups 
Like I'm, I'm physically in a ton, metaphorically in a ton of groups. I'm not physically there. Like I don't comment. I just kind of peruse, you know, a lurker. But I'm a lurker. Most definitely. But like do yourself cage enclosures and stuff. I see some of the stuff that these people are coming up with and like, it's breathtaking. And it's like, it's like they love the animals so much that they want to make an awesome habitat for it. But at the same time, they're, they're lying to themselves if it's not also the hobby and the allure of building this micro ecosystem, this micro window into whatever environment worldwide you're trying to achieve. And I think that's awesome. I think that that also would drive the curiosity for more unique species and eventually chondrodactylus for everyone. Yeah. And I mean, that's like, I, that's one of the reasons I, I enjoy dart frog so much is like literally just the building of the, of the tank was just as enjoyable as having them. But do I want to go and do that for all my green trees? Do I want to do that for the Jansen eye or the boy again? No, I really don't. But the frogs, because it's, it's necessary. Right. You know, it's warranted with those. Cause that's like, you know, they're going to, they're going to thrive in that environment. Like that's fine. But am I going to go and do like a decked out, sort of set up for one of the bears probably not i've thought about it it would actually be really cool if i could find some way to do like what cody did with the uh with like the the twin side rattlers yeah Yeah. and do something like that that would be awesome to have some bears in that Um, so it's crazy because i showed cody when i saw that enclosure i showed cody pictures that i took of the rock lichen outside of tucson and i was like dude look at the look at these pictures and look at your enclosure look at the picture look at the phone look at your enclosure i was like it's the same fucking thing. And he's like, dude, I'm so happy you showed me these pictures because, like, I must have redid those rocks like 50 times. And then I asked Paul. And Knowing Paul's how like, much of a perfectionist he is, yeah, I believe. Exactly. And Paul was like, he's been painting foam rocks for six months. <laughs> I'm like, just this one rock, just over and over again. But the lichen looks good. That's amazing, man. I just think it's you know it's like I've said a million times like if that's if it's if that's what the recipe calls for with that species then that's what you got to do. So that being said, Rob, what do you see? What do you predict being the new? Dare I say hog nose? Dare I say crested gecko? What do you what do you see? Leopard geckos. That's I honestly I see leopards coming nose. back. I honestly see leopards coming back because some of because like I have a ton of gecko I stuff. That ever, I, follow. I don't think they ever and, left. No, uh, yeah, but they got kind of. I feel like people are like, "Oh, cool, it's leopard gecko," but now I'm seeing these crazy colors I've never seen before. So I see that coming back, but yeah, hundred percent. I I don't know. I would assume that to some extent, right, the colubrid stuff, whether it's Asian rats or something, yeah. is there so much interest there that you know it? I think maybe the change is that the the idea of monoculture, right, it was so pervasive from the early 2000s to three, four, five years ago, something like that, that we've had folks who literally only kept sort of the standard items and it not in terms of a deliberate choice, but saying, oh, this is what there is, right? There, without mm-hmm. that exposure to other things. And then it's, oh, well, it turns out that I think that was the explosion of the Mexican black king snake, right? Is that that exploded because you had a bunch of people who didn't even know they existed as a snake. That's true. That's true. That's why bears are going to be the next MBK. <laughs> bears are going to be bears are going to be the next big thing because of Justin Smith. Let's the just amount of that people that message me, like when I first started talking about bears, they're like, "What's a bears rat?" And I was like, "What?" Like no one knew they they existed. I'm like, they're right here in our own backyard. You got 
a lot of variation as far as like if you want oranges, there's ones with a lot of orange. You want ones that look like they're made of steel cable. You got ones that look like they're made of steel cable. Like it's just they're awesome. Like and people were like, I've never even heard of those before. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah. we'll have to we'll chat. Uh, put a pin in this. We'll chat. Herp in West Texas. Give me one moment. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get you know who I want to get. I want to get uh, Troy Hibbets. That man's probably seen more bears than anybody else on the planet. Yeah. And like I think I'm friends with him on Facebook. I'm kind of like weird to talk. To, I'm weird about like talking to him. I don't know why. I just feel like I'm bothering him. And I don't want to be like that guy that's like, tell me all your secrets when it comes to bears. Be like, what? Look, man, we we all have that one person or that five people on Facebook that we we fangirl over and hesitate talking to. And then, you know, one day we muster up the the courage to do it. And uh and it pans out great, you know, because remember, this industry is unlike any other. This community, excuse me, I want to say industry. This community is unlike any other community in the world. And that's what makes it so great. I mean, crap, we got Rob friggin' Stone on the show right now. You know, it's For amazing. The, like the third time. I know. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But it's like, I, I mean, I have talked to him because you get these. I don't know if I've told you about this, but you get some beards that have like this almost stunted, like they have a short face. The, like the normally they have. Kind of, yeah. Like they have normally, they have like a sort of a longer coffin, like flattish head, right? Like if you took a mamba and you sort of smushed it down a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, but I had two, I have two, a pair that have like a much shorter rounded face. And so I like messaged him. I was like, you know, will you know anything about this? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, you see that every now and then in ones that are underfed as babies for whatever reason. Really? If they don't get fed a lot as, as, and it, I mean, these are also, I bought these both. They're completely unknown, like lineage wise, but they both look like they either are the Mexican variety or they have a very high percentage of that Mexican blood in them because they have that phenotype of the gray head with the, the body being a completely different color. Right. Um, and so I do wonder, because I've also seen some pictures of some of the Mexican varieties that have that sort of stunted face. So that makes me wonder if that's actually part of that locality. But um, I mean, I just asked him about it and it was kind of brief and I really didn't didn't pry too much i was like cool thanks um but that's i mean that's something interesting because i do notice on my my texas ones and my adult pair they don't really have that going on um so i don't know i mean i wonder if it's like a, a certain region of the mexicans that have that or you know what it could be it could also be the the genetic because yours are captive bred right yeah, it could also be a genetic thing too, where it could be. You know, Casey was talking about the certain brittles have that more stunted yeah. snout. You know, and I noticed that one of mine looks like it probably going to have that, and the other one looks more traditional, which you'd expect. But I don't well, know. It's it, funny. Had, it, had, it had me worried because I was like, maybe these are actually not full blown bairds. Maybe there's like something else in there that they got outcrossed with, and then when they got sold to whoever I bought them from, they didn't either label them right or they just didn't know and so i was like are these actually full-blown bears or are they a mix of something but i don't think that's the case there was actually uh do you remember when you showed me that thing on i naturalist of a bear eye or bear excuse me in california yeah was that you? okay yeah. did do you ever investigate that no i mean I, 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 the comments on that post on i naturalist people were like it was probably a pet someone let go which okay. is like the only logical explanation because We've never seen bairds out there, obviously. Like they're confined to, to West Texas, Southwest Texas. Yeah. It had to be a pet. So my thought process was too is I saw somebody posted some pictures of what appeared to be a 
Baird's greenish cross. And before I could comment and talk, the guy's Instagram got pulled or whatever. And I, I reluctantly didn't save the photo. But is that even possible? Like, do the greenish rats even go that far east? I know there's there's like documented Baird's emery crosses. Okay. Um, which, I mean, that makes sense because I believe there's a natural intergrade somewhere in that range. I'm assuming sure. it's probably going to be closer towards like the northeastern part of the range, I believe. Right. Don't quote me on that. Um, but in Dusty Rhodes' book, The Complete Subhawk, there's that chapter on Baird's. And uh, he has a picture of one of those crosses. And it's just, I think it's a natural intergrade. Um, but like those, and I'm sure there's there's probably crosses with like Texas rats. Um, yeah, I really haven't done that whole lot of digging on that because I'd actually be curious... Because uh, it also seems like that pair in particular, their scales feel more keeled than the other beards I have. And so I don't know, like that that pair has me a little hesitant to do anything with them down the road until I sort of do some more looking around and seeing what the possibilities of what else might be going on yeah. are. Um, but I mean, granted, I have like 13 or 14 beards now, so it's not like I don't have other ones to pair and do stuff with, but that pair in particular, I got them. And I mean, as babies, they look completely normal. They look like Baird's like standard uh, textbook, but just as they've been developing, it's just been a little, a little odd and I'm not entirely sure what's going on with them, you know, or if I'll end up doing anything with them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any other reason for me to think otherwise, um, or at least be confident that there's not something else, you know, that everything's, everything's kosher, but, yeah, because you have a pair of actual Mexicans, right? They were sold to me as Mexicans. So I have the pair that I got in Daytona. Those right. came from, from uh, Ron Allen. Those, I have no doubt, those are Mexicans. Um, and they don't have the same texturing? Well, they're still small. Like that pair okay. I got, those pair, that pair is probably coming up on two years old. Okay. Um, and so they're they're not quite adults, but they're not babies anymore. Either. They're just that kind of that odd in-between stage, like tweeners. Um, right. So I don't know. Um, cause I mean, if, if these, if this one pair, that's the oddball pair, <clears throat> excuse me, winds up being more, I don't want to say keeled, but more textured like the Mexicans, then you are closer to your answer, right? I would think so. But at the same time, the adult pair that I have that were sold to me as Mexicans, which the male fits the profile, the female, I'm not exactly sure she, she kind of does. Um, and I guess, I mean, that's the issue with like the whole knowing what you're buying kind of thing, you know, with yeah. beards, it's tough because they change so much from the time they're, they're, you know, babies to adults that if you get them as babies, you don't really know. Yeah. They're yellow rats when they're babies. Like I've seen Mex baby Mexican beards that look like the Texas variety. And then I have that pair of baby Mexicans that I got from Ron Allen that look nothing like the Mexican babies. Right. So like, that's something I'm going to be curious to see is as I'm breeding these, you know, in the years coming, am I going to be able to definitely for certain say like looking at a if I go to a show and I see a baby and it's labeled as a Mexican, but it doesn't look like the Mexicans I produced. Is it actually going to be, or, you know, that's one of those things that I'm only yeah. able to know by doing it. And, right. you know, right. Craig Trumbauer, uh, you know, I was at, when we were at Daytona, Trumbauer's there, he had his table, he had like six, you know, 20 snakes for sale. They were gone in like three hours. Um, but apparently he walked by Ron Allen's table saw those Mexican bears without even seeing the label and said, those are Mexicans, aren't they? And Ron said, yeah. So <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see 
you know, clearly Trumbauer and those guys that, that have a lot more time with that species and they've, they've seen them, you know, a million of them over the years, they have a better eye for that than I do. And I'm, I'm working on trying to get to that point eventually to where I can look at stuff, um, have a kind of a general idea of what locality they likely are, like what area, like general area they're from. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I need to get better. I need to have better eyes. So, Sounds like you're on the path, brother. I mean, did you look at that Google Drive folder that I made? No. Why would I do that? I don't know. <laughs> I so, should. I need to. I keep forgetting. I, Dude, I have Rob, so much scientific <laughs> shit that I have to download from like Billy and Nipper and you <laughs> and Scott and ugh. So just to give you an idea of how, how like badly down the Baird's rabbit hole I've gone, I made a Google Drive folder with Texas and Mexico subfolders. And then I went on iNaturalist and I saved every sighting of a Baird's and the county it came from into the folder for that county. And so I just have like 30 or 40 freaking county folders in my Google Drive and it's just full of pictures of nothing but Baird's and I renamed the file with the county so I know which one it is. And like if like with the Mexican ones, if, if there's the map where like where they found it, I saved this, I screenshot that and I save that with that photo too. Like it's, it's bad. At some point I'm just going to, I want to go through and like really look at them and sort of break down like what makes, you know, the Edwards County look different from, you know, the Valverde's, which are obviously like two different phenotypes in a sense, but I don't know. I just, I want to be like Casey Cannon with Baird's man. I want to be able to look at it and be like, that's exactly what that is. And I know that because I've seen a million of them, but then you got guys, like I said, like Troy Hibbets and Trumbauer that are like, Oh yeah, that's this County, whatever. And it's like, how do you know that? Damn it. It's just from looking dozens. Of, yeah. Hundreds of yep. you know, staring. in their case, you know, it's seeing them in the wild and all this stuff, but you know, staring at pictures, man, it's the, that's the thing with, you know, the alternate thing where you say like, okay, they, they do the same stuff. And if, but it's a, it's a concerted effort to look at those photos. And I if you're looking at them, I still don't know how they do that. So long, you're not even looking at them. You know what I mean? Where it's just, yeah. And, yeah, it's going, man. And dude, it's, it's like Vargas with the clobber eye. Like he can yeah. tell you not only what County he'll tell you what foothill to the mountain to which that one specific banding comes from. You know, it's just we look at enough of them and you can just tell. You know? See, the, our Alterna thing, though, I'm starting to wonder if that's like a giant like Ponzi scheme or something. Because when my dad hatched out Alterna, there were some that came out and I was like, wait, that looks just like the ones from this highway. But it's from a highway like way the other direction. So how do you know that that's that when it looks exactly the same? It was just very. You don't because you didn't feel collected. That's that's the that's well. Do you trust the guy that that did? You know, right. and are you getting it from him? Or are you getting it from someone? You know, is it six six? Uh, you know, six six, six hands. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're getting it from the guy who you know caught the the parents of that snake, okay, that's one. Th and you intrinsically trust that guy. That's entirely different from saying you just go to a show. It's sort of the Rosie Boa bummer to me in some ways. Of you know it's even worse with any of the Mexican stuff, but it's like, well, heck any of the cream and black ones. Oh, that's a Mexican Rosie bow. That's the most, in if you know, you know, you learn a little bit about Rosie bows and you'll say that's insane. The notion that like the Ajo type, you know, we call it, Oh, that's the quote, the Mexican Rosie. That's, that's a joke, man. And so 
if you're looking at it saying, okay, well, Mexico has been closed since the mid eighties, the idea that it belief in those localities absent, you know, an exceptional circumstance, it's getting something more recent with more definitive information tied to it, all that stuff. It's about as much stock as Scott puts into a, you know, Australian carpet locality that we have out <laughs> where it's just like, no, just you know, the, dr- the dream hey, chatterer. Yeah. yeah right. Although he did own that the gelatin thing, maybe that the, they definitely have a, that railroad track look is a distinctive thing. Mm-hmm. We saw one of the two that we saw had that, and the other looked like one of Eric's citrus tigers. You know, this purple IJ blasted out. You know, is it an IJ? Is it a coastal blasted out? Highlighter yeah. neon yellow, all this stuff. It's like, but one of them had the look certainly there. And if you look on Unnaturalist, that kind of that greenish look, mm-hmm. um, you'll see one that's on the road outside Gelatin, going up to the north. That. Uh, looks exactly like that. So that one probably legit. The rest of that stuff gets a bit, uh, the locality thing gets out of hand. And I think especially when we're talking about like the Southwest Texas stuff, like that's another one where it's like, where do we draw the line? Especially when you're captive breeding these things. Part of that, right. Becomes, do you, did you, were you able to catch a pair? You know, were you able to go often enough to get a pair and you know from the exact same spot or, okay, well, the best that I could do in terms of doing that was a mile, you know, the front end of this cut versus the back. If you caught two that were sitting right there together, you probably like those to go together. Yeah, It, it makes me nervous to breed anything from Southwest Texas because it's like I'm going to have guys who are like, well, what, what, where did, what county did these come from? It's like, aside from my, my Loma Alta pair from Dan Parker, I don't know where any of mine came from. They sure. came from what Texas. am I supposed to sell them as? Exactly. So what am I yeah. like? Am I supposed to, this is just a Baird's, but it's like, but it's a really nice Baird's. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful generic Baird's. What do you want? You know. And I think it's people Something will about see that just feels good. wrong. What do you mean? Just it's like generic Alterna. When I hear that, it makes me cringe a little bit because I'm like, it's not. There's it, it can't there there can't be a generic Alterna. It can't happen. Right. It just feels wrong. Have. It's got to have. It's got to have the label. We're, us as a species, that is a problem. Is it has to have the label, right? Some sort of label that you can fix. But I think the generics and part of it too is just who you're talking to, right? A buddy of mine loves just generic alternative. He loves generic Blair's alternative. He wants them to be the most beautiful that they can be. You get into the same stuff where you got the the hypo that leads into the leukistic alternative, right? Not my jam, but obviously those are generic alternative. You know, yeah. and people like those. You know, I, I mean, like I, when I was selling my dad's, I sold a couple babies as generic, and people bought them up. They're like, "I just want an Alterna," and I was like, "Really?" But okay. now, how many of those? How many of those people are speaking about generic, or are they speaking about locality mutts? I just, well, it's got- again, it gets into information, right? It's are you are you making that? Because if you did, and you you're you have enough of them to be even kind of caring about that question, the answer is probably that okay. Well, I know X and Y, and then I can frame that, and it, it's all frame. You know, as you say, it's labels and framing where you'd say, okay, well, I'm going to frame this as you know, southern half of rain, you know, southwest mm-hmm. half of rain. If you're if you're across these two different counties, you know, if you're saying, okay, it's a river road critter and then a Christmas critter or on the other side, if you're up at black gap, okay. If you were the person who cared about that and you would just say, Oh, okay, well, I'm going to call it this, you know, Southwest Texas, Southwest Texas range, you know, something like this to distinguish it from the Eastern stuff. That's a yeah, where it's most clear. 
You know, but it also goes. It also goes into the the whole wild turkey thing, where so in Florida you've got two different species of turkey. You've got easterns and you've got osceolas. The dividing line between the two different birds is literally Highway 70. So the birds in the south don't cross the highway and they don't interbreed with the easterns that are more carefree and less likely to hide in the, in the palmetto scrub. So like, who's to say that, you know, the alterna from road A couldn't have meandered its way haphazardly during a storm and ended up on the other side of the foothill and bred with alterna B, which is two different, two different colors or two different patterns or whatever. Better yet, we don't think about how many times guys have gone out or girls have gone out and caught six or seven alternate in a night and said, you know what? I'm going to keep numbers one and four. And they just dump the rest on the side of the road. And so now you've just, now you've just okay. so I know, I know. Well, so here's, here's the thing, right? So I've heard this too, Phil, and I, I've, you know, we, we have commonality on that. You know, it's it's a classic, classic bit. I just don't buy that any of them were letting go of any of them. I think they just didn't want to say that they took all eight of them. Well, you know, it, <laughs> say, oh, I didn't, no, I didn't just catch, you know, pull, you know, eight in one night would be crazy, but it may be the yeah, Easter. You know I mean. But no, I, I'm with you. But it's like, um, I don't know. I've heard the same thing. I know what you're saying. And I think there's something to that. I I think if you're getting them yourself or you're getting them from the person who got them themselves, that's one thing. And it can mean something to you, but I, to the point you're making relative to the turkeys and all, I don't, it doesn't make them intrinsically better. It, right. it could be, make them mean more to you. And maybe you Which can, maybe better? the value that you have out of that makes them mean more to you produce some, it makes it more meaningful, right? It's yeah. going back to Hank, right? Hank Molt, where it's the story. Is it, is it what you're looking at in front of you or is it the story? And it's just two different things. But in terms of intrinsically, the animal itself, yeah, I don't think it's any intrinsically. Is it fundamentally different? Certainly not. Is it? Are there variations that if you stare at hundreds of them, you could look at them in the same way as the birds and say, "Oh, this is." If it's you're looking at a wild snake, you'd say, "Oh, this is going to be from here," and they're like, "Oh, yeah, it is from there." That sort of thing. So that it's both can be true, right? That it, it yeah. is the same thing. You can feel free to breed those birds together. No worries from wherever they're from. You know, no, no worries. But as long as it's not totally disjunct, uh, and I only say that to hedge against maybe the Mexican versus some far northeast, you know, northeast yeah. edge of the range thing or something where if there's a disjunction, maybe it legitimately is different to some extent. But on the Alterna, yeah, they're Alterna, you know, and they're a beautiful snake that exists. It's, it's odd because for me, the only group that I really like where that's actually like a legitimate concern for me is just the Southwest Texas stuff with chondros on the same way. I'm like, did you go get it yourself from yeah. the, you know, from yeah. uh, Manaquari? Then how do you know hundred percent that it's actually Manaquari? Like those change, change hands a lot of times. You don't know. But when it comes to like the alternative stuff, it's like, Oh God, like, I, I don't know what, what, the dam was to these babies. So it's like a East Sanderson to a undocumented, like the real alternative guys are going to absolutely like, they're not going to want it because it's not these two bred together. This is what they're supposed to be. Like fortunately with Baird's a, there's not enough people keeping them to even care about that kind of stuff. Um, but it's still, it's just like, there's the, just when it comes to the Southwest Texas stuff, it just makes me nervous because you have like the hardcore guys that are like, I want GPS coordinates for 
the parents and the grandparents and the great grandparents because I want these to be exactly from where I want them to be from Christmas Mountain or whatever. And then <clears throat> it's just that it, I don't know. Like you have the really hardcore guys that are very, they, 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 they want those, they want that information. And then you have the people who are like, yeah, I just want an alternative. And I'm like, you don't like, you don't care that you don't know where the parents came from. No. I think that's the vast majority of people though, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, like so if we were a weird divide, there's no in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, but I think there is in between because there's the people that want the locality specific because they want to be able to say, oh, yeah, it is from Highway blah, 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 and it was bred by Justin Smith, and he's the blah, 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 right? But when it comes down to brass tacks, they can't tell the difference, or they really don't care. They just like the story like you said earlier. And, I mean, if if you're talking about guys who are legitimately you have enough experience to a thousand percent say okay this is a wild again speaking in the context of wild snakes because just that the captivity and the potential all the potential variables there it's so it's just so different right you know it's a whole different thing that it's okay they can look at they're not gonna buy your snake man okay but that's like if you looked at the pie that, that's like I, th I think it's the noisy minority and i and i have interest yeah. in that you know I, th I think it's cool all this stuff but i'm just oh, saying yeah. like in terms of if you were okay so you took babies say you take babies to daytona right you have you produce alterna and you have a table there with the for the podcast network and all this stuff and you then you got you know craig trumbauer you got 20 snakes sitting there ups or whatever and you say you want them or you don't this sort of situation like honestly man i promise you that all the people almost all the people that you're going to see are going to fall into that camp of if they just want a gray band that, that's beautiful. The guys who are really super hardcore about it probably just were never going to buy your snake. So you don't need to be trying to please them. This is I don't, it's just like I said, it's just a Southwest Texas thing for me. Like Subox, Baird's, Alterna. It's just, it's that's because, because that's become such a thing, you know, with that group, with that region that now it's like, that's the one group where I'm like, I really don't want to mess this up. Like I want to, I don't, there's just this odd pressure for some reason. I don't know why, like I'll breed whatever bears I want to breed, but you know what it is, it's the odd pressure. And I don't want you to take this offensively. The odd pressure is generated in your own mind because you are so in love and enamored with the species and the nature of the species and the localities and the ecosystems and the people that find them. And it's become a legitimate passion of yours that you almost, you might even not know it, but you might feel like you're cheating yourself by not having it correct. Maybe. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, like, for example, I've also had the classic example. And thank God it was a friend and it wasn't that big a deal because he was joking around with me. But the classic example of what looks like it's something and it's totally not where I had a friend who was like, dude, I got this stellar pink game break. It's like this big, it's eating. He's like, you're going to love it. I go to his place. He, I was like, dude, I'll, I'll take that snake. That snake's gorgeous. It's freaking neon pink. I was like, where'd you get it? He goes, South Carolina. Man. I was South like, Carolina boy. Cause we got the best. We do canes and corns real well. So I gave him the money. We deli cup and I put it in the hot box. I locked the hot box and he's like, Oh, by the way, it's not from South Carolina. I said, what? He goes, East Oklahoma. And he has pictures of him, or he had, I don't know if he still has him, has pictures of him with it on the little baby neonate hook in front of the sign that says, welcome to Oklahoma. And I was like, no way. And that's just- Why did you tell me that? Well, no, he was he was trying to prove a point that the snake was from Oklahoma, but it looked 
definitively like a South Carolina pink, you know? So sometimes you get lucky with good genes. Not my case, but. I don't know. I, like I said, you don't see the, like, you don't, A, you don't see definitive locality stuff with Bairds except for, like, the Loma Alta, like, highway, you know, 277, 177, whatever it is. Uh, you know, yeah. you see some of the Juno Road ones, but you just, you don't see the, the hardcore locality stuff, but at the same time, like like I said before, nobody cares about Baird. So, who's 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 paying attention anyways? <laughs> I think to Bill's point, though, the reason part of the reason that you care about that more than you do with Alterna, or you even perceive it that way, is because you like Baird's more than you like Alterna, man. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, that's fundamentally if you were if Alterna were your thing, then you're invest investment in that would just be different and if you're getting it yourself i think that's that's a big part of it too right and a lot of the super hardcore gray band guys that you're alluding to part of me saying oh they won't buy it from you it's because they're going to catch it themselves or they're going to buy it from their buddies who they who caught it themselves you know right. it's not right. this is an f3 from such and such it's like not or the wild like is it an it, f1 that was collect, you know, that were collected by the guy that I'm getting them from. It's and this I, odd I feeling like you're being watched. <laughs> like people are watching and they're saying, if you pair that Loma Alta to anything other than a Loma Alta, I'm going to know. And no one's going to want those because they're not pure Loma Altas. But I know okay. that's not the case. But in my mind, it's like. Heck, I don't, Bob it's not doing, you know, like I'm in the alternative groups. And I think that's part of the problem is they're like, everyone has a locality for every animal they post. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but dude, all the groups are going to be exactly the same, man. It doesn't matter if it's carpets or turtles or freaking giraffes. Everyone's going to be the exact same way. They may have, you know, a room full of mutts at home of all different mixed bloodlines from different roads and mountains and foothills, but they're going to tell you because it's the internet. Oh, this is from such and such. Right. I think it's one of those where it's like, oh, you go back, you know, 17 posts and it's like, yeah, what is yeah. my snake? You know, and then that's the one that, you know, you see in with this label on it. Of course, of course. I think it actually goes back. It's a childhood trauma thing because I remember growing up and seeing the Alterna boom and assuming that that's the way it has to be because that's the way it was years ago. Well, I, I don't think people are as hardcore about it now as they used to be, but maybe. I made a decision because, like, for those of you who don't know, I'm on a Glades rat, you know, crusade. I used to find Glades rats pretty frequently. This past summer, I put like a thousand miles in the car looking for Glades rats. I didn't find a single rat snake. And then finally, in like the beginning of November, I found a five foot dead male that was DOR. And like, I was like, all right, well, at least I'm in the right spot, you know? And I know it has a lot to do with uh, uh, human encroachment in the regards of pesticides in the canals from like cane field runoff and stuff like that. But I found myself not going down like Highway 29, like all the way to the tip of Florida. Even though they're there, I, I stopped going because I was like, you know what? They're not as red. I'm going to stick up to like LaBelle and like Glades County. I'm just, I'm just going to stay there because I know that if I found one down in the tip of Florida, I was going to keep it and it wouldn't be what I wanted. Now I remove this animal from the wild, you know, and it's like, it's let, me just, let me just stick to, exactly. It's not real. Let me just stick to Glades County. You know, so still haven't found him. You know, what's funny is Henry messaged me the other day. He's like, Hey, do you know uh, where your Jansen and I came from? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hell no, dude. I was like, 
I know that they're probably not those Celiars or Celiars. How do you, I don't even know how you pronounce it, but the ones with like the crazy high black that look like they got run over with the tar machine that they make roads with. Yeah. I'm like, well, I know they ain't those. The black milk thing, man. You know, they're born looking like oxycephalin, you know, and then they change into it. But like Henry's thing is that Henry is so modest with this too. It's amazing. Henry is a networking master. Henry has so many friends in Indonesia now over the past like two years from Instagram and Facebook and stuff and like just going on chat rooms and like speaking just a little bit of Indonesian gets you a pretty long way as a white guy. And dude, the pictures he shows me of some of these weird species out of Borneo and like, you know, the, the Malayan side of Borneo, like dude, stuff that you didn't even know existed. And it's like, you know what that is? I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a crate. He goes, no, it's blah 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 blah, and I'm like, no way. He goes, yeah, it's one island, one island. It takes four days to get there. I'm like, why are you showing me this? Why why would you get my hopes up? You know, I mean, if he can get me some of those high black chance tonight, that'd be awesome. But he's got so many gears turning, man, and so many things in the pipeline. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen those in a long time, man. And so Denver Zoo is breeding them, and those were kind of the that got a good pair that produced a lot of offspring, enough offspring to figure out how to hatch the things and all these things, you mm -hmm. know, and then put them out there um, just because there wasn't the the institutional interest in that stuff. So that they went out and freight free just got them and they just sort of all into the, you know, into space. But I haven't seen those in a long time. I, I assume, and to the point you're making, Phil, some of that I think is usually just tied to either, commercial interest as ex as is expressed against the difficulty of doing something you know mm -hmm. like who is it convenient what's the level of difficulty relative to the perceived value or the the actual value to the connections that folks have in terms of effectuating that stuff the internet oh. should make that stuff easier but somehow it's harder true i also I think that, i think it has to do a lot too with um species that were readily available that didn't do well in captivity at the time when they were first popular. So, like for example, I know maybe 10 years ago, most Ganyasoma was poo-pooed as being cobra food and they die really well. Great. So, yeah. Right? They're, they're, they're great. So what happens is the exporters say to the importers, hey, we got all these, you know, red-tailed green rat snakes, you know, do you want them? And they're like, ah, you know what? I'll pass, man. It's not worth the animal dying. You know, I can't sell them. They're just, they don't do good. Let, let's just hold off. They're and then mean. now, now that exporter isn't going to offer them again. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's like, Oh, the Americans don't want them. Give them to why the Swedes. Bother, yeah. Why bother exactly. dealing with exactly. it? Exactly. All of a sudden now it disappears. Now it's a hot commodity. And then you, the, you know, the importer starts to say, Hey, whatever happened to those red-tailed green rat snakes? And the exporter goes, we don't catch those anymore. Nobody wants them. You really want that? It's cobra food. And it, the cycle starts over again. So, Well, and even then, too, right, the, the other aspect of that is just the sort of the quantities and volume to get. We always think of this as the choicest things, right? That yeah. it's like, oh, we want that, that particular one or whatever. And it's like on something that's not a standard order item, it's like to make it worthwhile for, as you say, both for the importer and for the exporter for them to engage in that sort of trade, right? So for if the importer to say, hey, send me subradiatus, right? For example, yeah. it's like, okay, well, you need to be on the hook to order 30 of them, man. Yeah. Because for me to ask him, he's going to have, you know, he's then going to pass that on. He's going to get, it's 
there's no way to get a pair to, to get make it worth the while. He's, you know, I'm going to kick this off and that's going to kick off this chain of events. It's going to turn into you get me getting overwhelmed with these things. So you got to be in for a penny in for a pound. You can't just say, Oh, I want one pair that are just, you know, uh, you know, sub six months old. Uh, it's not how this works, man. <laughs> you get what you get, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Well, just in terms of the quantity to make that yeah. happen. Oh, well, sure. Maybe you'll get those, but it, it might take buying 20 or 30 of them. Yeah. yeah. Or, 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 you know, there was a, there was a guy that he was talking to in Indo who, uh, you know, Henry was, he's like, Hey man, you ever see a tropolimus subangulatus? He's like, yeah, they're, they're great animals. He says, we sell them for 50 bucks a piece, but you got to buy like a hundred of them because it takes, I got to pay the guy a two day boat ride to get them. And it's like, Whoa. So like, we're not even talking about having the animal at the exporters facility and then dealing with customs and then dealing with the air traffic and customs in the U S no, yeah. it's, it's going to be in a bucket or a bag for two or three days to get from the jungle to the spot to even get in. Like, like nobody thinks about that stuff too. It's just not, it's not worth the trek, you know? Yeah, sure. And it goes back to the idea with, you know, home scrubs and stuff where it's like, what, why did they intrinsically were thought to do so poorly? It's like, well, cause it wasn't convenient to get there. Right. And so you're talking and that's, you know, same deal on chondros pop that back, you know, 30 years ago on a chondro, right. That it's like, oh, okay, well, literally you could be talking about freighted stuff, you know, stuff that's on a ship, you know, we, we you know, read stories of stuff of, um, you know, folks in the forties and fifties that are literally going across the ocean with these critters in bags, trying to give them water and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, okay. And you wound up with shot kidneys on some of that stuff and all these things. Right. It's yeah. the infrastructure in some ways is easier now, but there's a defined cost to that. And it's not always, it's not, yeah. Oh, Phil's will, you know, give me a half dozen of these. And it's like, Oh, okay. Uh, not, not as practicable. And as part of it too, right, you have people that, and I know this was always an issue that I would see is like, okay, you have the sort of mid-tier uh, retail places, underground, whatever it would be, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? When there is something cool, they have a preferred place in line because they buy, they spend a bunch of money on the stuff that needs to move as a normal part of the process. So guess what? When there is this cool thing, even though it's, oh, I could just as easily pay that amount of money for whatever it is. Yeah, it's not even being offered to you because as a, as a, to curry favor or to, you know, engender goodwill, that's going to be, yeah, it goes to, that's, I know it's on the list, but that doesn't mean you can buy it. Right, right. That even goes so far as to say, like, I don't want to use, I don't want to, I don't want to say the word like mafia, but like, (laughs) But for real, there's been plenty of guys that Henry and I have talked to, and it's like, hey, man, <clears throat> excuse me, we're really interested in this species. We know that you breed it in captivity. You know, could you export? And he goes, uh, no, you have to talk to Rob. Right. And it's like, well, don't you export? He goes, no, I, I export, but for that, you have to talk to Rob so that I don't get my hand cut off. Like, right. like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there's that factor too, and I mean, obviously, I'm generalizing, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm you know what I mean. But, but that's also the case is that some of these places are still old world, you know, for lack of a better synonym. Old country, you know, horse head in the bed and everything. I wasn't going that. I wasn't going like oh, that. Okay. I was thinking it was, it's more. There's other things that coincide with shipments, if you feel me. See? 
I need more Ganyasoma to get a better get better context because everyone you know you, you see in the groups i saw someone post recently and they oh i want a jansen eye and this one guy piped up and he's like oh you know they do fine and then one day you'll walk and you'll find them dead and i'm like i mean my experience with ganya soma they've actually been a breeze like the two that i have aside from the male is you know being a freaking like breaking out twice trying to live they've in been, your house you know they've been fine here. like they've been a breeze like they've been very easy snakes to keep but I also like those are younger animals. They were imported when they were younger. So they've been in captivity longer. They've been adjusted longer. Like if I got an adult from underground tomorrow and then I got that adult, would I, would my experience be the same as what I, what I have so far? You're missing the key factor in that. And that is that Justin Smith took the time to reach out to choice individuals who have had copious amounts of experience with the species and did your homework and learned how to do it a, a, a better, if not correct way. And that is a company included. Right. So because you took the time and effort to do that, rock and roll. You didn't just see it on Instagram and go, oh wow, Bushmaster has it on their list. I'm gonna buy it. What do you mean I can't keep it on on you know in a 10 gallon or whatever? I mean, obviously I'm exa- I'm minutely exaggerating, but that's the case, man. Is that so many people take on Yosoma and they die because they treat it like a corn snake and they're trying to put it around their neck while they watch TV? Like that's not gonna work. God, I would hate to do that with mine. Yeah, that was, that was- Jesus, dude, mine are hell on wheels. I mean, it's it's like cleaning days are interesting. It's because you have those guys. They're ready to go. They're awesome snakes. I love them to death. That that they're textbook in my opinion. But like underground has those has Jansen I, and so I'm like, I wonder if I bought another female. Like, what would my experience with an adult that's been imported? be like with the two that i have that were brought in when they were younger like obviously i I wouldn't i would do the same thing like i wouldn't treat it right away i'd give it you know a couple months to to settle and stuff before i even touched it with you know dewormer or anything like that but like would i have that same problem where i walk in one day and it's like yeah it's been doing fine for two months oh now it's dead like what the hell so i don't know i mean maybe not even just with ganyasoma but just sort of you hear like chondros they have the same stigma that's been around for the last 20 years of yeah you know they die really well it's like well if you leave them alone they don't you know if you if you benign neglect it's like they do great i mean it it probably is a a reference right to stuff that either is occurring and that we're failing to notice or that we're inducing as you say you know where it's like it didn't die for no reason it died for a reason whether that was something that was invisible to you or was something that you could have perceived but didn't have the experience to do so or is actually something that your conditions induced in some way you know could be and it could be something that wasn't caused by anything save some you know malformation associated then with you know getting hit by stress you know it had Mm -hmm. had an aneurysm or something you know like sure that's that's entirely possible there's this whole spectrum of things but it didn't it didn't die for a reason for no reason Right. It's just, are we perceiving what that was? And is there a way to, if it's something that's reflective, right, of the conditions, the inherent conditions for you to get that animal in the first place, okay, then that's going to be, quote, they all do it, right? It's the home scrub thing from the... Yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, that's a, that's a great example. You know, where it's like, oh, quote, they all do this. And it's like, well, that might represent some stressor that they all 
are exposed to as part of the importation mm -hmm. process and maybe it's shooting their kidneys, but they can hold on for three to six months or something like yeah. that, you know, depending on the amount that it happened to them. I mean, that's a, that's a prime example. Like every time I hear people talk about homes, they're like, they're a dumpster fire. They just, they, they fail to do well in captivity. And so it's like, okay, well, are the right people getting them? And are the, those people that are doing them wrong? Are they just, stressing it like they're not giving them what they need when they first come in like i've heard keep them in something that's like blacked out opaque leave them be don't do anything with them like literally ignore them except for water changes and all that good stuff yeah, that's also a very like as as well as it it's a species that's great for this particular conversation but the people that are acquiring them i feel like it's not your average joe you know what yeah, I, mean? I mean if we're talking about like david and, and chris then yeah but I mean, I yeah. remember they did a post not that long ago about homes and how, you know, hey, you're going to see these on list because I remember seeing them. Someone had them for super cheap on a list not that long ago. It might have been Bushmaster. I don't remember. Um, but I was Probably like, man, that's like really recently. cheap. And, I mean, and cheap. Or I guess it depends what you think cheap uh, cheap homes would be. I remember like going less, back. Less than $400. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty expensive. I Inexpensive. I remember going to uh, Cameron's thing would be, you know, it's those in particular, all the scrub pythons, but those in particular would be very cyclical, right? And so it would hit a point where all these come in and then the price would slowly go down. Maybe mm -hmm. hit hit a point where he's got five or six of them and he's sitting on them and they'd go, you know, on the sale price deal. And that's when I'd buy all of them, you know, and so I'd, I'd get six of them or whatever it was at literally a couple hundred dollars. And I haven't seen that sort of price thing in 15 years, honestly. <laughs> You know, yeah. it, it's been a long time, a long time from that. But the good thing with those now that we've got, you know, the stuff that Chuck Poland has made, the the Oklahoma Zoo, City yeah. Zoo stuff, so that, uh, you know, Dennis has one of those. And this stuff, it's like, okay, if those do totally fine, then that'll suggest there's something to do with the, the process of export and import right. associated with it that's damaging them in some way. If they're kept in a standard fashion and they do totally fine, there's something that we're missing as that part of that acquisition process, which I suspect because as scrubs go, they're actually not that wound up generally. They're not, mm -hmm. certainly they're not like flighty psycho. The funny bit is everyone thinks they're, well, I say everyone overstating it. A lot of people say, oh, they're the tame scrub. And the answer That's is when they're, about stressed, they're tame. Wrong. Well, when they're super stressed, they're tame. When they feel mm. themselves in their enclosure, they're not tame, man. They are not. You'll open it. And it's like, oh, okay, I actually take this as a very positive sign to how this thing's doing is that, no, it's saying, you know, it'll back you up and say, hey, man, no, not today. So the, I mean, the, the that they're, they're, they're all pulled up, that's not a good sign. That, that yeah. snake is super stressed. I mean, what's your experience been like with, with homes over the years? Oh, I don't know. I've So I've had 25 or 30 of them. Um you know, for varying periods. So all of my, I had that beautiful striped one, you know, a truly tremendous snake. That was super funny. So I would buy these from Cameron or whatever. And then this was 2000, early 2008, something like that. You know, he calls and says, Hey man, I got this, uh, got this one. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. And then he posts a picture of it on King Snake. And I'm like, all right, dude, I'll, 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 I'll buy it. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, and I know Ron St. Pierre's had similar things with some of those albino anoles and things like where it's like, yeah, I don't know. And then it's like, okay, sure. 
<laughs> no worries, man. Um, and that snake did great. You know, no worries at all. I got those first, the first babies that I had seen. And I, it was funny, you know, people gave me flack on the front end because this was, they would be like the first babies that we had seen. I know, I think maybe Dave Barker got some that were a similar size right on the front end of this coming in from having talked to him. But I mean, these were the size of carp, baby carp pythons, you know, wow. or they sit under a four inch terracotta and fit, you know, fit under mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. And they, you know, they weren't red. And so I said, they're not, these snakes aren't born red, man. I get that they're scrub pythons. Most of them are, you know, I get the bull and I are born red, all this stuff. These are not born red, you know? And so then when Oklahoma city hatched them out, you know, that was my hashtag, you know, throwback, not born red because I took so much <laughs> shit for that. People yeah. were like, you're an idiot. You know, you, you didn't know, Oh, they must've been. So I was like, they're the size of a two month old, you know, six yeah. week two month old carpet python. You know, oh, how old do you think this thing was? You know, what size do you think they catch out, man? Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. And those did great. You know, I had I had those, sent them to my buddy Bill Hughes, then got them back. I mean, those lived 14, 15 years in captivity, and only the female caught two big tumors. And not after, you know, not until uh, after she had knocked out two men. Well, well, she killed one male, just I tried to pull him. And then she took a feed bite on him and bit him, bit him really badly. And so then when he ultimately took a meal, you see it go down and stop and this stuff. And it's just like, oh, you know. uh, that's not, this is a problem, you know? And then the other, you know, the other male that was, so one of those males was that 2008 timeframe, same time I got that striper. And then the, uh, the other one was, so I got two babies at the same time, 2005 and those ones so that the male pinned himself and drowned himself in the water bowl oh so she killed one and the next year one of the the other male had drowned you know inadvertently drowned himself by getting pinned by the cork and then you know in in the water and then she caught two big tumors so that's a that's little just, bit that's my man that's like one of my favorite you know like as far as scrubs go because i remember seeing this picture and thinking like that is one of the coolest looking yeah, things beautiful. of all time. Oh, yeah. And then we come to find that people are like, oh yeah, they're like impossible to keep alive. And I'm like, see, I, I heard the same thing about the Ganyasoma and those haven't proven to be a big issue. So it makes me wonder yeah. like, are they, it, it has, is, is it all, is a lot of it hype versus reality? I tend to think it's just stuff that maybe is different now, you know, in terms of the infrastructure to get them to you and, you know, yeah. sort of the, even the, the states of civil rest or unrest in given places, you know, gosh knows what all this COVID stuff's doing in terms of the infrastructure of, will it make some places easier to get from some places, harder to get from others? I know that's particularly in Indonesia, right? That's always an issue just because it's so many different islands. It's so many different situations, right? And yeah. some, sometimes things are going seemingly swimmingly. Sometimes, you know, it seems that way. Maybe it's really not. That's, sort of hiding the realities of the situation. Other times it's obviously that there's open hostility and people probably aren't too keen on trying to meet up to go, <laughs> you know, get on, get on a boat to go, go to the hostilities to pick up a yeah. couple. Of I know yeah. that. Uh, Let's go be missionaries to an island of uncontacted people and see if they're interested in talking about Jesus. Right. Yeah. Exporting some snakes, you know? So I don't know. Have you seen that striper man? That, that, that was a pretty snake. Is it on your page? I send you things. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I, I mean, you've sent me 
a million pictures wow. on on Messenger with all the stuff you've kept in the past. But I just meant on this uh, this deal here. But uh, uh, well, I don't know. I usually send them to Phil, and then he uh, when we live stream, okay. he throws it up. But it doesn't matter. It's funny you mentioned like the whole like unrest thing and what the climate, the political climate is wherever they're coming from, and like I heard a rumor recently that. One of the reasons why you couldn't get stuff out of Malay Peninsula for a long time during COVID was because in Malaysia, an airline had a, I guess, a crate of cobras or like a box of cobras that fell off of like a forklift that was destined to ship out. And the snakes got loose on the tarmac and they freaked and like it's all native stuff. So it's not that big a deal. But the airline was like, okay, no venomous snakes, no snakes of any kind, like not until COVID's over. Like, and that's why you didn't get anything out of Malaysia or anything in that whole like me- melee area for like all of COVID. Where's Samuel Jackson when you need him? Yeah, right. And- so if you saw him, Justin, on my uh, Facebook and you look on the Morelia album, that'll probably be the easiest instead of me downloading a bunch of stuff for you. Um, but yeah, no, I, well, Phil, and that reminds me of, you know, the stories from the 70s or 80s, right, where they, they do that and they drop the crate and it's, you know, monkeys and stuff like that and yeah. half of them, all this stuff. But I know that that happened to uh, a shipment of Asian rat snakes in the late, you know, aughts. It was a bummer because it was like four shipments. They dropped the, the top box was the only one that wasn't messed up. And even those, those snakes had something going with them because they they look decent and then they all just sort of fell off but and maybe it was just the they were you know kind of invisible stress or invisible injury associated with that accident but that same sort of exact situation of like oh it fell off the forklift and it just smashed yeah so many beautiful snakes you know it's crazy and just like well justin looks at that like just going back to the whole the homes and the ganyasoma and like is it that the stress of coming here or is it the, I don't know, how do I phrase this? So an importer nowadays obviously takes care of their stuff way better than they did 20 or 30 years ago because they just didn't know any better back then, right? Or the things that we know now are infinitely better than we did back then. So if an importer now gets in, say, 10 Jans and I, right, they set them up, but they don't set them up for the long haul because their job is to sell these animals, right? So they hydrate them, they give them warmth, they give them darkness, they give them, you know, perches or whatever, the darkness, but (laughs) they're still there to be sold, to be shipped out, right? And at the same time, you have employees that might be curious and they're opening the drawer and looking at it. You have locals that are coming there to shop for their pet shops or for their own private collections, and they're opening the drawers and looking at it, or they're opening the closure looking at it. And that stress, I think is way more uh, permanent than say the flight over or even the unboxing. And it's like the classic example of there's snakes that live in pet stores their whole life because nobody wanted them and they do perfectly fine. And there's snakes that lived in the pet store for six months and it died because it wasn't destined to live in a pet store, you know? Right. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Totally agree. And it reminds me of like, is that something that's assigned a sufficient value to be set up individually or do they pop those in four into a 28 court or, you know, and what was the duration on that? Was that for one day, you know, did they come in a bag of four to, you know, four heads? Was yeah. it four heads? Was it one, you know, are they going into a, you know, yeah. is it the, a properly sized tub? Is it well fitted so that it's like, 
you know, it's obviously easier on smaller stuff, right? It does it go into a hatch, the iris hatchling tub, you know? Yeah. Or better yet, you know, did they put, you know, four red tail green rats in a three foot vision, but they neglected to cover the glass. And now every single time a human walks by that enclosure doing whatever they are in this business, this place of business, the snakes are like, oh my God, a human, oh my God, a human, oh my God, a human, you know? And that just, right. it, it burns in them. Opposed to, you know, you getting the shipment per se from your broker or whatever, you open the crate, you open the bag, you go, okay, yep, that's chance and I close it up, bring it home, the enclosure's already set up, you open the bag, you put the bag in there and you walk away and you cover it. Let the snake come out of the bag on its own, let it explore at its own time. And those things I think make a huge difference too. We can't always do that because we just don't have the venue to do it, but that would be the ideal scenario, right? 100%. Do you find that stuff, Justin? Yeah. So yeah, the uh, makes me want. I need a female tannin bar. <laughs> Baby tannin bars are so fun, man. You know, and what did you say you had? Someone, I think it was you, right? You were just talking about you have a patternless. I have a male. Yeah, yeah, from Phil. Yeah, that was so calm until I got sure. it. Apparently, that snake. I told you I would take him out of the enclosure. He would give me a little. He would give me a little sass. I would take him out. I would let him wrap around my bicep or like my shoulder. I, I can't go near that asshole. I would clean. I would clean the enclosure. Right. It's in. A, it was in a, a three foot, three three by two display vision. Right. And then I would just like pull him off, and like he would he would do the scrub python flippy flip, you know. And then I would just shimmy him back in there, and it was fine. Yeah, man. I I don't know. I never found them to be any better or worse you know heck it was like the first uh scrub python we saw you know down at tully tully gorge right that it, mm -hmm. it was like in this in the way scrub pythons are right where it's like these is it three foot long or is it six and a half foot long you can't <laughs> really tell right you know they, they also because they have such similar proportionality and then they just sort of keep going um but it was like oh it gave you the look you know it was like it didn't it didn't respond but it was like it thought about it, it was yeah. thinking about it and then it yeah. was like nah it's all right you know no worries and, this you know, guy that. Trying to get me out yeah and, he's and just, it's, it's not an aggression thing he's just he's like he's he's the constantly hungry morelia like that's, that's all it is it's like everything's food if it moves i'm gonna kill it i don't care if it's if it's food or not i'm gonna try and find out yeah i don't know man because like i've had like i've had six seven foot big ass scrubs that were puppy dog tame, like, like the Albano Burmese Python at the petting zoo, you know? <laughs> and then I've had, you know, three foot scrubs that would rip your face off. So it's just, I think it's all, I think it's all individual animal, you know, a lot. Well, most yeah, of he's hilarious too. Like I said, he hasn't come out from that hide, but as soon as I walk in the room, his little head pokes out and then he slowly comes out more and he just sits there and waits for me to like come in there. So it's not like a, a it's not a fear thing yeah. at all. Like he's like he's com seems completely content. It's just it's hilarious because like I won't see him, but as soon as I walk in the room, his face is right there at the opening, and he just waits, and then he sees me moving, and he comes out more, and more, and more, and then eventually sometimes I'll hear a whack on the glass. <laughs> but <clears throat> I just I I don't know. You gave me that mail, and like they're now hard to find, and so now I feel some sort of an obligation to hunt down a female and try and make them happen. That would be awesome, man. They're adorable as babies. Yeah, they stand up and they're kind of coming at you. Yeah, it's super fun, man. 
It's definitely different. I mean, Jake's like Jake, his Barnick. Like I remember the first time I met him with that thing. I was like, this thing is on another level, man. Like this thing thing wants to eat you. That thing has no fear. Yeah. None is nuts. That's, that's the snake where you're in Jake's room and he's showing you IJs and you're looking at, you know, some of the pitiophis he has. And all of a sudden you just get that feeling like you're being watched. And you turn around and you didn't know that your back was to the scrubs enclosure and you turn around oh, and the, thing, the thing's just like right there staring at you like the raptor in Jurassic Park again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but. They're cool. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'd want any of the ones that get large, like the tannin bars are fine. Like I'm good with that. That's like the micro scrub. It's perfect. But like when Jake's gets big, he can he can enjoy that. That's the one thing that is that has steered me away from scrubs for the most part is just the the spatial requirements when they get adult size. Like the tannin bars, if I I told Jake, you know, if I found a tannin bar, I'd be like, that'd be that'd be one thing. But you know, the big big ones, nah, no thanks. And dude, Rob, you just sent me this picture. That snake is awesome. Yeah, so that's the big scrubby. It was off the road up at uh, Palm Cove. And uh, yeah, so that was the one that, you know, famously, you know, took a took a taste. But it was just a uh, it was so it's on the road. We're coming back, having some positivist talk, you know, kind of positive reptile talk. Our last night before going down to Brisbane, it's, I don't know, 1130, 12 o'clock. And it's been raining. The funny bit right up there about the rain is that the only snakes that didn't seem to mind the rain were scrubs. You know, they'll come out, everything, the carpet's stuck away and, yep. you know, they're not about it. But this thing's out. There's nobody else going. And it's like, I see it at the last second, you know, pull, you know, go like this, give it the jerk. And it's like, well, I didn't feel anything. And I sure as hell hope I didn't hit it. It's a foot and a half, you know, from the road. You're on the opposite side of the road than we're used to, you know, and mm-hmm. go like this. And it's sort of a slow stop. And sure enough, man, there's the only other car out night that night is coming and so i start running down the road like in the lane yeah so that it's like okay presumably this person's gonna be like okay but gonna blast this person or not you know and then it's okay and so they they go off but i'm ways down the road because it's just sort of you're processing did i hit this thing because i really really don't want to be dealing with that yeah. and uh, so then it's like you get there it's okay and uh, very clear what it is and it's okay i'm just get, you're coming off the road right now because i'm not gonna you're not gonna get smashed in front of me man you know this sort of thing and so it took a taste but it was the same thing where it's just like you know it looked looked at you although i will say so that one uh you know bit of a wanker shot right where it comes i put it around my neck you know and then eric and chris <laughs> were hanging out there you know so i've got it draped over and you know when you do something like that and it's not quite centered yeah. So that it's like you got more, you know, yeah. you got more on the front end than you're thinking. And so Eric and Chris are moving. And so it, it S's back into my chest and it, you know, it hits me right in the sternum. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's like, well, you got, you know, three foot a body and you're, I don't know, eight, 20 inches from my face. <laughs> you know, one of these deals like, you know, you can picture walking through the airport and it's like, what happened to your face, mate? You know, <laughs> right. And but dude, like, looking at that picture, man, it's almost like a like a greenish gold. It's gorgeous. Yeah, totally. And it's, I mean, that one, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's a young adult male. I mean, we're talking something like 10 foot. 
Yeah. Um, so not the girth of a female, but certainly, again, it's the same scrub python thing where it just keeps going. You know. Yeah, dude, because the animal's super lean, but like it's it's very long. You can see the length in it, but it, it's almost like where the girth doesn't match the length. Yeah. You know? It's awesome. Awesome. Did you ever do much with Boiga? I don't know if I asked I had, you that uh, on previous episodes or not. No, the only thing I've ever had was the standard mangrove stuff, you know, which were always super fun. You know, I just like the they'll open up on you and, you know, they're giving you a little play and stuff like that. But babies, baby cyanide do that. And it's adorable. Really? That's super oh, fun. Hilarious because they're tiny, but damn it, do they think they're tough? <laughs> but no, I mean, and I, I remember, man, the, the renaissance that those have had. You know, even if you go to the mid '90s, right, where and you look and say the, um, the well, which ones am I thinking of the, the dog tooth and stuff, right? Where it was like, yeah, the cynodon, where you know, where it's like that was something that was originally a thing, right, in the early '90s, and then even come the mid to late '90s, people weren't familiar with what that was. You know, mm -hmm. that. The, the work that's being done. And I think Dan did a ton of great stuff in terms of the videos and then bringing in stuff like that as mm -hmm. putting in the work to get good quality on those things to really, really make some hay with that. I mean, um, Bill Hughes, like you were, you mentioned Bill Hughes earlier. Like there was a point not that long ago where I was on like an old Boyga forum and I was looking at posts that he made like literally like 12 years ago. I mean, just stuff that's still relevant. Like, you know, when I paired my cyania the first time, you, I had this that weird swelling on the female right at the cloaca. And I thought something was wrong because I've never seen anything like that. And so I did a bunch of digging. And of course, lo and behold, there's a post that Bill made of pictures of mangroves locked up. And you see the same thing with those. And so I was like, okay, this this must be a thing with them because I've never seen that with any other species. Uh, and so it's just funny that it's like, oh, yeah, Bill Hughes. You know, I know he used to do a lot with Boiga. And so when I saw his Vegas Billy, I was like, who else would that be? You know. Uh, you know, it's just funny sure. you can go back and, and see that kind of stuff and it still be pertinent and helpful. Dude, that, man. I was just looking at that, that other picture you sent me, Rob. That, like, that headshot. So that's like, the taller one. That's the Tully. Dude, that thing is. Those two are the taller. Like, it's almost velvety. Awesome. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they're they're totally gorgeous. I mean, to the point you're, you know, you're making Justin. It's just that even the Aussies don't really keep those, you know, or they'll keep them. They'll keep one, or they'll they'll keep them for some period of time, you know. So it's one of those. Oh yeah, I had them, and then maybe you want them again, and all this sort of stuff. But it it's a big snake, man. You know, and it's it's just it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And giving them the right, it's like a big big monitor, right? The ability yeah. to keep them. You know, it's like, oh, that takes a bank of lights. That's not a sing. You know, you're not talking about a single reflect refracted light like you would be on an atria. You know, it's like, oh, that's a black throat. You know that this is. It's just an entirely different ball game. You know, and the scrubs is sort of the same way in terms of every little. It's not. Uh, it's not as simple as a, a simple upsize, right? It's you might have to fundamentally redo what what you're talking about. Now you're talking about some giant. 10 foot, you know, round cattle trough instead of a, a two by four. And like, just looking at the color with the pattern, like the dead grass and like, it's just, it's awesome seeing that stuff in the wild because it just blends in, man. Like it just, it does what it's supposed to do. You know, hundred percent. Never, never yeah. ceases to amaze. 
even the picture of you with the animal on the side of the road with like the grass and like I feel like if the road wasn't there and you weren't there, it would be much harder to see the animal. Just like it just does its job. I know it sounds like moronical because it's it has camouflage, but like it's just always awesome to see because we don't see them like that all the time. Oh, 100 percent. And when you're talking about I, I think you're right about any of this stuff, but particularly stuff that's not in the United States, right, where we really don't have a context for it. It's just a whole different deal. Night tigers. Yeah. Jake yeah, Hansen sends me pictures of his every now and then, man. And it gets, I get so freaking jealous because to me, that is like the boyga of all boyga. Those in the, the flap of Veritas, uh, like those are just, oh, they're such stunning animals and we can't have them, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's not even like that. That's not even the thing. It's just the fact that it's like if you, if I saw a night tiger in person, like that would, it just, I wish, I wish we could have those. And dude, this last picture you sent me. That's not the gelatin, right? Uh, which I'll have to look at the sequence, which one it is. Cause so there's a Brisbane in there, but there's two gelatins in a Brisbane. Oh wait, because I just got way more pictures. Yeah. So the one that's the one that's uh through the patch of grass. So that's a gelatin. That's the railroad that's track gelatin. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that thing is stellar. Stellar. I love the reduced. There's almost no tipping on the on the head at all. And it has like that weird spider webbing to it. Like that's just phenomenal, man. The more I see those, the more I understand why Burke likes them so much. Oh, of course. And then what's the what's the one after that? That's the Brisbane. Yeah, that is crazy, crazy. It's unlike any Brisbane I've seen, man. That's awesome. I want all the yeah, boy man. Super, uh, super cool. Sent you a couple Boyga there, uh, Justin. Car- carpets are cool and all, but Boyga, man. Oh, boy, oh, Boyga. Oh, dude. Look at these tigers, ah. man. That. See, man, we should do this on Snakes and Stogies because then we could show people, you know. Oh, oh God, dude. Soul, they're so nice, man. Ugh. And, of course, I talked to Hanson, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, they're cool. They're, they're just... You know, we got them. They're pretty easy to find. Of course, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, that was the most common snake that we found. Dude, it's and, like us in Nerodia. Yeah, it is like us in Nerodia. Yeah, I see like Nerodia. I'm like, yeah, cool. Another another yeah. banded. Awesome. Wonderful. Black Racers. Cool. Another one. Sweet. I'm not even going to bother trying to catch it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. They're uh, awesome, man. Although I would say that, you know, if you have a Nerodia that looks like, a, you know, a woman on a thin body body frame that uh, maybe you want to stop and check that one out. Yeah. 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 Well, those ones that uh, that Chris Montross has, those Sarasota, Florida ones, those. He's like, got dude, some cool stuff, man. I love I Nerodia. I want some of those. Like those Sarasota ones, those are nice. They look like when I remember, because Chris didn't, like, I know the person that, that Chris got those from. It's one of my buddies. <clears throat> And uh, he's like, you know, he originally sent me pictures of him because it was from a golf course that he was working on. And he's like, man, should I, should I like catch a pair of these? And I was like, absolutely. Like if they're everywhere. Yeah. Cause I've never seen any waters like that before in my life. They look like death adders, like with the pattern and the, and the coloring, you know, that's what they reminded yeah. me of. And so, yeah. And so they ended up, he ended up sending some to Chris Montross and now Chris is going to be breeding them. And I'm like, I actually might have to get my hands on some of those eventually. Like that might have to happen. Cause those are nice. 
and I'm not big on Nerodia. Like I don't get the I don't get the hype. I know Jake's all about them. You know they're cool and all, but I have zero desire to keep them. But those ones, I might have to make the exception. Well, if I find some, do you want me to hold them for you? <clears throat> Unless they're these Sarasota County ones. No, they they, they look exactly like that. Really? They're not as, they're not as common as the other banded ones, but uh, we get that sunset one by me. And it's like, oh wow, sunset one, cute. You know which ones I'm talking about, right? They literally look like a tequila sunrise beverage on the side of a friggin' water snake. By the way, is this a the last one you just sent, Rob? That's a Darwin. Yeah, in the tree. It's so diesel, bro. Look at the head. Yeah, oh. it's a big female. Yeah. Oh man, dude, this is like spank bang for days. <laughs> Look at this Stenophorus. Ugh. All right, back to the podcast. And then the one. The last one. The one. Oh, of course. Of course. The piece de resistance. <laughs> that fucking story. I love it. Like, tell me at first glance. That doesn't say that's a death adder in your hand, dude. You yeah, I've seen him. Post these things. Yeah, that's cool, man. I just think Nerodia, you know, if you like West Indian boas, right, it's kind of the same conception. <laughs> Baby factories. <laughs> yeah, where you just sound like, yeah, you know. Which, you know, it's funny. We're talking about the, you know, I saw those at the Atlanta Repticon a couple weekends back. You know, it's, they were selling those Paulson and I babies for like 30 bucks a piece. And me and Casey were hardcore looking at those, thinking about grabbing some. And then Jeff and Kendra, you know, their female that they got from Dan, you know, dropped. It was actually dropping today. I think she had popped out nine and still had some more to go. And he was sending pictures. I was like, man, I was like, we were really thinking hard about getting some of those. <clears throat> yeah, man, man, feeding them things is a whole I know. Other that, that's the only reason I didn't. Because you know those things aren't established. You know they're not eating. Oh. It's like. I get my hands full with, with the baby Boyga. I don't need another. Dude, and like, not to too, like, obviously I'm talking to you guys. You guys have done a shitload of stuff in your life, but like, not to toot my own horn, but like baby squams, I got it. Baby eyelashes, tricky, but I got it. But ground boas, nah, hard pass. <laughs> Just a hard pass. Well, I mean, Rob's, Rob's a big Candoya guy. I know, and good, you, God bless you, him. I mean, do you think that there's like when you see babies at a table super cheap like that? What do you like? What's your initial, your first thought of man? Someone's going to be really disappointed with those, or you know, actually they're probably not going to be that difficult. Like, what's? I mean, those switch over decently. I think maybe a scent on that isn't so terrible. You know, mm -hmm. especially if you're putting it on a live pink. That, um, you know, I know a buddy of mine just had you know captive produced a litter, and. I think he was saying to me that something like, I don't know, half to two thirds, something like that took live, you know, took live pinks, no worries. And obviously, so those are, that male might be a while, but so those are probably F2s, something like that. Um, so there's a slight, a slight preference for it. I, I didn't find those to be terribly hard to start. Certainly not compared to, you know, the Carinata or the Vibranite mm -hmm. Jealous, which are, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they just, they want tiny lizards. And I think going back to the conversation we had, actually, I was looking at, uh, I have some vivariums and things and I was considering getting, um, 
morning geckos getting either some Fiji stuff or the Philippines stuff and producing your own, trying to produce your own stuff, especially just having that real tiny inch, you know, inch to inch and a quarter size or whatever. Um, I don't know if you could make enough practically, but I think it'd be fun to, to give it a shot and see what their reaction is to, you know, as something that at least is uh, invasive. Yeah. More normative than, than a brown and all, you know, or whatever, which, so the, the litter I had of Bibber and I Australis from 18, no, 19, um, you know, they all ultimately took um, live brown anoles, but they're very slow metal- so that it was like once a month. They'd eat like once a month, a live brown anole put in there. Sometimes it would help. So the anoles, right, if you, they it helps if you put two of them in there so that they cause each other to move and react and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, at least with those where they're not overwhelmed by it. Other things, if you do that, the two of them, it, they're overwhelmed. So they'll only eat singular ones, but um, you know, those ultimately they all ate a lie, at least one live brown and all, nice. you know, so it speaks to it, you know, their willingness to do it. And presumably it seemed like it's the, the features of the lizard rather than the smell, sure. right? Because scenting didn't seem to do too much for those. But I just think Paulson and I are comparatively that being more thick bodied, they're not that bad. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty slow gl- growers to begin with, aren't they? Like their genus in general is very slow growing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause like, and too, like Carnata is like a cocktail straw when they're born. You yeah. Know? Like that's crazy. It's just, ugh. have you ever had one of the lizard eaters speaking of like the anoles and stuff? Where they go after the lizard, and then whether they bite the lizard or they bite the lizard's tail, and the tail drops, and they uh-huh. eat the tail, and now you have this lizard that's just running around like with no tail uh-huh. on it. Uh, oh, what a mess! <laughs> I, I, I failed so miserably with that Turkicus colony. <laughs> They're probably all in my crawl spaces in the attic right now. Probably they, they somehow escaped that tank. And, Would you have them in like an exo sort of thing? But no, they I had a. I have this, it's like a twenty tall but the lid is it had some holes in it but i like hot glued the goal, the holes so like it, they could somehow they still got out so i've got turkeys uh, somewhere but because yeah. i was gonna i was doing that in preparation for baby chondros and the baby boy so i was like you know turkey geckos are everywhere around here like i'll catch some i'll try and get a colony going and then like you know if i need to grab one i'll grab one and feed it and then right. whatever i you know i end up not needing i'll just freeze it off and use it for setting or something later um that failed miserably, and I actually I want to try the Vitatus froglets again with the boya because I offered that to them initially not long after they'd hatched and they wanted nothing to do with it. But now I've got a couple that have been eating pinkies, no problem. So I'm actually I really want to watch them like hunt the froglet down. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, just interesting to see what they do. Hundred percent, man. You should totally for the baby sign age totally get like bait minnows alive. And like leave them in the water dish, see what they do. That would be interesting. I don't know. Like hearing Owen talk about, you know, his carpet eating, you know, what was a tilapia or whatever it is they yeah. offered. Like it makes me wonder how many species do we have? Would they would they take fish voluntarily that we normally wouldn't assume they would? Yeah. Food for thought. And I enjoyed watching the rhino for the week that I had it chase some tadpoles <laughs> down and eat it. Yeah. And that was that was pretty cool. So. The funny thing to me is just that you didn't, no one gave you the advice that, yeah, you should keep those in a sealed tub, man. 
you know, keep them in something with a lid. I think that everyone assumed that someone as well versed as Mr. Smith that he would not have, <laughs> you know, maybe he would have like, you know, a sweep on the bottom of the door. Hey, you know what else is funny is I walked into my room today and yeah. I just moved one of my yearling beards into a bigger tub in the AP rack I have. So this is another reason why I absolutely hate AP. There's a gap. And so I walk out and I look over and on top of one of the frog tanks, this bear is just hanging out and just stops and stares at me, assuming that I guess I can't see it. And so, of course, I grab her and she went back into a six court back into the rack with the wedge. With the wedge. With the wedge. So every right. like I, I, I don't know how many times I have to learn this lesson of if I look at the gap and say, nah, they can't make it through that. They totally can and put something under it. Yeah. Like for some reason I can't seem to get that through my head that that like if there's a gap and you don't <laughs> think they can get through it, they totally can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like everyone with vision gauges, they put the weather stripping in between the two panes of glass, right? And then they mm -hmm. cut a little section out if they have a showcase lock. But they don't think that there's the track on the top and the track on the bottom. Well, to get the panes of glass out, you have to lift the pane and pop it out. So that means there's a gap in the top that's not on the bottom. And the snake can go up in the track and then come out. Yeah, and I've be, seen you'd that. You'd be talking about like baby squams, though. I mean, that'd have to be yeah, something really you, small. You'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. Well, don't, if, don't listen to me because clearly I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> you just need a yeah, door man, It doesn't have to be that small. Like I, Phil and I were joking about that because I was telling him, you know, my we were talking about vision cages. And I was like, oh, yeah, the, you know, the what the two by two by one foot tall or whatever. That's just the snake escape cage, man, because yeah. anything big enough to go, you know, that's the size you would put in there can get out. You know, 100%. if it's a three and a half, four foot colubrid, man, that can either go, you know, up and over like you're talking about, or it can even go, if you don't have the weather stripping, goes right between the panes, man. No yep. worries at all. It's like, how, how, what is going on here? You know, it's, it's sealed up. No, hundred percent. Ryan Burke, right, who you guys will know in the Condro context, certainly, yep. Justin, you will. You know, I remember when I first been to Ryan's house, he had the most beautiful leopard gecko setups I had ever seen because he had an entire room of those visions with these, you know, each had a group of leopard geckos in it. It was very, yeah. it was very fun. Cool. And then he wanted to put in Condros in. I don't know what he was thinking, you know. I've actually seen it where a, uh, a Traversaris that was – way 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 too big to fit in between the panes of glass managed to get all the way out and had broken ribs see don't yeah. you wish you had like a camera or something just to see the, the how they can bend the laws of physics to make these things happen well i mean it did well, it, break it, themselves yeah yeah well, what happened was we, we assumed because we found the snake right next to the cage and it had it had you could clearly see it's got broken ribs it had some some bruising and what we assumed was if it's big enough to get its head through, it's going to get its whole body through. So what had happened is the snake got halfway through. It got to the fattest part of its body and was like, uh-oh, I'm stuck. There's no going backwards, you know, because that just doesn't happen. And it forced itself through it because it's, you know, fight or flight. And it, it broke those ribs. And luckily, because it was injured, it didn't get very far. And, of course, the rooms are escape proof, so it's no big deal. And it wasn't my room. Just saying. So, well, my my week with the rhino was magical, and <laughs> I still never I never found it. 
There will be more. Don't worry. Little dried up body is somewhere. Who knows? I'm sure in like 10 years when my parents are like cleaning out the upstairs entirely, like completely gutting it and putting in new carpet or something, it'll be dried up in somewhere like a corner, obvious somewhere where it probably sat for like a week before it died. Yeah, but what, what people don't know is that Justin's parents have several birdhouses throughout the property. Beautiful, beautiful house, beautiful property, beautiful birdhouses. And I and just know. Vents on the floor. I just know that your mom is going to put in like a bird bath. And one day she's going to go out there to put out some bird seed or something. Or your dad's going to go out there to light a cigar. And there's going to be this fat barons just <laughs> chilling in a bird bath full of wild finches or something. Just going, uh, Every time I go over there, I still have this very slight sliver of hope that I'm just going to walk. It's going to be there. It'll be like on its deathbed, but it'll still be alive and I'll be able to salvage it. Yeah, it's just going to be this rhino in a birdbath. It's been a uh, year. Yeah. (laughs) I remember remember opening the day I got it. I remember opening the box and looking at it and being like, that is the coolest thing ever. I'm like, this is awesome. And then the day, the night, I opened the tub and it's gone. And I looked under the paper towel. Like you know how like something gets out. And you look, you look under the paper towel like three times as if it's somehow going to yeah. magically appear and tear the house apart and never finding it. Have you ever thrown a snake away and then been like, "What? What? Wait, wait a minute." No. <laughs> Have you ever done that? No. Yeah, close calls for sure. Dude, like baby colubrids, like baby corn snakes, baby kisses. I've probably done it. I've done at least. The newspaper they'll be tucked into it you yeah, know when you got that cold yeah yeah dude like like <laughs> leucistic king snake like you just lift up the paper towel and you're like oh he's in the box whatever you crumble up the paper towel in your hand you throw it in the garbage and you're like wait a minute wait a minute and you look and the snake's like what the hell bro <laughs> where are you doing yeah <laughs> i had that zombie pamilio remember that i was like that thing's dead oh my god that was that and then was i get a call from my wife she's like it's on there's there's a frog on the floor i was like what do you mean there's a frog on the floor and she sent me a picture like this thing was dead like i put it in the trash I was like this thing's done he's 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 dead. Now, yeah resurrected do the catatonic you know they're on their yeah. back yeah. out and stuff but yeah it's really just the stress response yeah yep. yeah well he ended up dying for real so yeah <laughs> to get when they're that stressed man it's one of these where it's like it's sort of like the baby colubrid right that you finally get that meal into and then it's like okay we got a 50 50 shot that you might roll because that's the first food you you know first legit food oh yes it ate and then it's like no i just killed it yeah (laughs) (laughs) this was the final nail in the coffin the last number of hope now that I got the now that I got those rinks, man, like I want more. And of all the rinks I've played with over the years, I've never had them, you know, sham death in captivity. Uh-huh. And I always attributed to like cottonmouths, like in the wild, cottonmouths will flash the and they'll gape at yeah. you. The minute you take them home, they'll never do it ever again. <laughs> so I always assume that. But now, like Henry started sending me all these pictures and videos of like people in Africa that keep rinks, and like the the caption is like, "Gave the snake water, dead snake." You know, turn the light on, dead snake. Uh, put food in enclosure, Please. dead snake. Uh, walked by enclosure, dead snake. <laughs> and like, I'm thinking about this, and I realized I was like, man, I'm gonna get more rings. Like, it's it's becoming a uh, it's becoming my bird's eye, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, man, there's gonna be a day when one is probably gonna die, and I'm and gonna, you're gonna s- think it's faking it. No, no, I'm gonna leave it there and let it rot. 
Yeah. And when I see that it's starting to like get maggots, then I'll throw then I'll get rid of it. <laughs> Cause I'll be that guy, right? Okay. <laughs> oh man. Oh so I mean I, well, I mean I told Terry that I'd send him some of these cyania. Just because I still feel really bad about losing that snake. I don't know why I feel so bad about it. I've apologized to Terry. I don't know how many times. He's like, dude, I don't know. Like, why did it... you didn't know? I was like, I just still, I just, it was a gift and I feel bad, you know? Yeah. So. so he has some going this year too, right? What? Yes. Uh, probably. I, I know can't he, remember. He, he, had his, he, had a, he had his roughies paired up. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That was, I, dude. That was the thing. I opened up One Facebook. Not Facebook. I opened up Instagram. I woke up. I let the dog out. Right, my morning thing. The dog wakes me up. I'm like, uh, you know. I whip open Instagram, and it's like, those asses are intertwined, and they look rough and textured. <laughs> I was like, good for him. Well, That's it's even awesome. more dangerous now because Terry's in South Carolina. He's upstate now, so. Uh, I don't know if Terry's listening to this. Don't forget about me. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm showering him with Boiga and other things in hopes that one day he'll, he'll give me a redeeming shot with the rhinos and I'll put them in a locked box with zero ventilation in a uh, locked room. Uh, how about this? If you get one from him, I will personally get you the enclosure so that it's, it's my, I'll make the so I'll make yeah. the tiny right yeah I'll make the tiny air holes for you. I'll make sure it has like six latches, and we'll just do that. So and you know what's even more messed up is like when it got out, I was like, you know, that actually makes sense because that thing was really thin. Yeah, like they're not they're not they're not fat snakes, they're thin snakes, and so I was yeah. like, I saw that gap. I was like, dude, it totally could have got through that. But when I put it in the thing, like when I initially set it up, I was like, yeah, it'll be fine, no big deal. Once again, don't know how many times I got to learn that lesson. Look on the bright side, man. At least it wasn't, you know, deadly. <laughs> you know? Just saying. So rhinos will get, just for what it's worth, man, they'll get through, through the vision rack tubs to you, you know, the whole, the ventilation holes. So yeah, you worth. like you speak from experience. Oh, 100%, man. That's the <laughs> thing. That's, there's a reason I now yeah. keep them in lidded tubs you know yeah. that you can what is the what is eight holes man yeah. you what's know? the rob stone baby rhino approved housing like what do you like it, it with gas, gasket tubs? yeah uh, so i don't do the gasket ones but you can either do the the purple the, the plum lavender latch ones if you want the mm -hmm. bigger bigger tub or you can do well the the one at walmart they have those ones that maybe what it's too Two quarts, some something like that, right? With the blue, yeah, so the, like the thinner blue ones. Yeah. Come over the top. That's pretty much what I use because that'll uh, nicely hold an eight ounce water. You know mm -hmm. that you can set in there, and then there's extra space, and they'll perch on that cup too. So that's pretty nice. Or you can just do like the Ziploc sandwich tub stuff. But on any of that, just you're putting in like just take like an eighth inch bit or whatever, and then just pop holes all along the bottom. It's going to be a little bit more of an issue with you. You're either going to have to go more ventilation or slightly bigger, um, right. just so you don't have them that stagnant humidity. That'll cause them some skin issues and stuff, or it can. 
Um, you'll just get like single scales that kind of pop out a little bit weird and stuff. But um, generally speaking, that's what I would do. Is, so you, would not do like hmm? you would not do like a humid hide for them as well or no? No, nah, man. Especially not where you guys are at. Okay. They just, they actually, that's the, I see more prompt. Well, overfeeding and overfeeding either is an expression of too often or too big on the baby stuff too often probably is hard to do, but, um, certainly those talk about a seasonal feeder, man, you know, talk about something that like <laughs> adult males, you're talking like, I don't know, 15 to 20 large hoppers over the course of a year, but they're eating that all in a three and a half, four month period, oh, you wow. know, across two seasons, front and back side of the, you know, there's a month and a half where they're eating and then, well, probably not even maybe you can get three weeks into them before they're they're paired up or whatever and then you've got from august to october where they're eating and that's it i have one male that famously you know religiously will not he'll eat through like halloween and then he won't eat again until the next like mid-june wow wow he will refuse food that whole you know you can off especially by the time you get to mid-june it's like come on man eat but you won't eat until that female either ovulates or lays eggs you know, somewhere between that that range he'll start getting interested and it's like okay come on man i need you to need you to take some food does he still at all or no i mean nothing not appreciable well appreciably if you look at him if you know what he looks like but not yeah. there's no deterioration in condition yeah, if you weighed him, he would be lighter, but at the same time, he doesn't physically look worse off. He doesn't look yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. I mean, he does it every year, man. Yeah. That is the that's a problematic male in the sense that he's so he's over eager and they'll do a copulatory bite and he'll cut you know, their skin is super resistant to everything but their own teeth and being too <laughs> wet. Um well, so that's the Ganyasoma curse though. Yeah. I mean they'll it looks like he took a razor blade to him, man. I can send you lots of those where it's just like, oh, okay. You know? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's super uh, interesting that I've seen him take rodent bites and have the skin, you know, rather than puncturing the skin, you got a, a full on, you know, a mouse going full out, right? You know, it's, it's you know, do or die time and it's biting down as much as it can and it can't puncture the skin. And then, you know, their own, a, a copulatory bite and they'll just copulatory bite or male you know male combat and they will just it looks like he took razors to him especially it's got the little teardrop you know the teared out shape to it and every almond shape to it and everything well it's like uh was it owen that just put a video up recently of it slow motion going after a prey item and like he watched know. that some somebody just did and i thought it was owen maybe it wasn't but the mouth opens so wide it's, it's like very reminiscent of like oxabellus uh-huh. And like it just screams like venomous snake. Like just you watch it in slow motion. It's like it's like do 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 do. You know, it's awesome. It's amazing. Like the mouths on them. I love their eyes. Yeah, I've never uh, certainly I've taken many bites from them, and I've never seen anything at all. Not even like the the oxies and Jansenai that seem to flow pretty good. Um, I've never had. I've had them chew down the finger, man. You know those classic. They get you, and then they just instantly they just chew down the finger, and it's like, okay, now now what are we going to do, man? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. nowhere for either of us to go. It's going to be really hard to get you to back up, and 
you're certainly not going to do anything. You know, no worries there. Um, trying to think. So Steve Maxey is up at uh, Professor Maxey is up at the University of Northern Colorado and does a bunch of this Venom stuff and all. And I remember being at Daytona at the table, and he's like, "Hey, so do you ever see anything out of those bites?" And it was like. Well, I just had one, you know, I just pulled one off so you can watch my finger, man, you know, and nothing, yeah. no worries. But, uh, and I, you never see any, um, they don't, certainly they're not waiting on it. You know, they're a, a press and go sort of critter. You know, they're yeah. not waiting for anything to happen. They're just, they just go yeah. for And that's how you wind up. You can have them go down to your hand, you know, is that it's just like they weren't waiting around for anything to happen. Yeah. It's just I was just shocked at like just the look on his face and like how wide the mouth was and like that definitive taper to the mouth. Like I was like, Oh, every point, man. And yeah. they yeah, and they come and go and it's uh Yeah. Once they're eating, they they're super easy. No worries at all. Once they're well, once they're eating rodents, that that becomes the only thing is you know, sort of like the tannin bar, it's ready to go. Yeah. It's very exceedingly rare though to have them bite once they're out of the enclosure. You know, okay. as soon as there, it's, there's any break on that potential for feed, it's like, oh, actually, I'm totally fine. Um, you How know, many do you have right now? They don't bite out of the cage. What's that? How many rhinos are you? How many do you have right now? Oh, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was so genuine. You sound like you were like almost concerned for yourself yeah yeah it was so dreamy <laughs> like oh god i don't know i oh man i have a problem <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know just in terms of raising stuff up and whatever you know uh, every time i see billy's man he's supposed to put he posts pictures of him sometimes i'm like damn it yeah yeah i mean they're super fun man justin you haven't seen billy's in person yet have you i haven't Oh, dude, they're maybe fun. next month. You will see them next month. They are stellar. It's just his are like in that they're they're like starting to change, and so they have that kind of interesting tan with the yeah, green. But, but dude, they're like minty. Oh, cool, I know. They're they're, they're minty, bro. I don't mean like like perfection. I meant like like almost yeah. like a mint tinctorus, not tinctorus. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, turbulus. <clears throat> Yeah, I my, mean, we'll get to some, man. Don't. My ambitions are exceeding the space in my room is the issue. My favorite. I need, part I need to get these dart frogs gone so I can free up like an the, entire wall. These are not bad. They're totally not space intense. You can do them. I just mean, with those and all the other stuff, I want, want. boy guy I want, and all the beards I want, and all the subox I want, like just. I just yeah, like. Yeah, him. yeah. your eyes are bigger than your stomach or your room. Yeah. You know, sure. Yeah. I'm just saying. Rhinos shouldn't be a, will not be a problem on that man. That's no. I reason. just, I just love how Rob skirted the question. How many <laughs> do approximately have? I don't like. I don't even know what you're currently keeping. Like, I know like you, have the, you have the, you have the Jamaican bar, and you got the rhinos. But like, other than that, like you've, I know what you have kept. Uh, Four hundred and seventy-six. Like what you currently keep, it's like it's a complete mystery. It's like, man, I bet you Rob's kept that. every time I see something, I'm like, man, I bet you Rob's kept that. No, like well, I'm trying, you know, I moved to Cage and got rid of you know quite a bit of stuff. I don't know, Phil, what's a you know, a few dozen between friends. I don't know, man. I got you. I got you. 
I, uh, I assume it was a few dozen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's fun to have stuff in cages. You know, I had stuff in racks, and it was kind of like, okay, well, here's a handful of things that I really like interacting with. And it's stuff. So you wind up selling you know, I know you guys have both been in that spot where it's like, it's not that I don't like this thing and it's not that it's not ready to go. And I, you get non-essential personnel. Yeah. No. You get messages from folks saying, Hey, I just produced that, you know, X, Y, and Z and it was ready to go and all this stuff. And it's just like, that's great, man. That's legitimately great. I'm excited for you. Might even, you know, certainly the temptations there to say, Hey, let me get some of that stuff back or whatever, but it's, you know, baby's back or whatever, but it's not, uh, it's fun to have cages and see stuff and yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also classic, like where, you know, you have a friend who asks you, I'm sure you've done it because Smithy and I've done it and Billy and I've done it, whatever. But like, it's like, Hey man, how's that blah, blah, blah doing? It's doing good. Um, you want it? Just, just yeah. Come yeah. Back it Cause I'm <laughs> kind of done with it. You know? Well, that was the thing with the Patias, right? You know, with yeah. so Matt most and I, Matt had a, uh, one of those sulfur Patias and that, mm -hmm. uh, so we had that and then we bought that, the female that Billy has and you know, it was, so we had paired him up and stuff. And then ultimately I think the stress wound up taking out that, that sulfur, he was bigger than she was, but, and then I just had her sitting around for like two years, you know, and then I guess Billy had reached out to Matt and was like, Hey, you know, what's, do you have any or know any? And it's like, well, yeah, Rob's doing, you know, he's got this one sitting here and I don't remember what it was, but I remember that like the price he paid, like I gave Matt, that you know that money minus shipping literally for me it was just okay this is opening up this cage for me the, yeah. the benefit that i'm receiving is that i no longer have to like i can feel extremely comfortable with where this is going but also open up that cage right like exactly. that, that is my payment my the payment is not money it's opening up that cage <laughs> with a completely clean conscience you know yes yes and have, have you seen the videos of billy feeding that thing Dude, this thing, thing's intense, Dude, man. Like, Billy will have it out, and he'll have it on the hook, he'll have it tailed, and then he'll place the first third in, like, in the tub, in the, I won't call it a tub, but for lack of a better word, in the tub. He'll go to, like, put the prey item, and then he'll transition hands, and the snake is half on the hook, half in the tub eating. Uh -huh. And it's, he just stands there. He's like, I can't move, because this is just too cool. <laughs> yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. And she's definitely wound up you know where it's like oh, yeah. oh, just yeah. that sulfur was sweet compared to she was she you know she got me yeah. a handful you know or at least tried to get me plenty of yeah. plenty of times it's just they're so attuned to stuff you know you're oh, just yeah. speaking about the tannin bar and how it's responding to you coming into the room she was kind of mm -hmm. the opposite it's like a heavy hide situation and then oh, yeah. just tucking away yeah. and stuff that's how the jansen and, and I are as soon as i walk in the room if they're out they disappear yeah, yeah. Which I'm Which okay with that. Like, if I don't see them, that means they're they're okay. Like, if I oh, it's good for it. It's a good thing relative to their keeping. It's just like, hey, and I wish I could see you. That's what I love about the having the red bulbs on, at least for the nocturnal stuff. Is it's like mm -hmm. during the day, okay, you have diurnal stuff. That's these are cages with activity, right? The rhinos are doing stuff and and all. Yep. And then the you know the other stuff. It's like, oh, those you have these boxes full of cork bark, and then you. You know, <laughs> I have the red bulbs as the fixtures in the room. So the cages themselves have have the UVA lights. And, okay, so those are on a timer. Those go off. You turn on the red bulb, bulb fixture. And all of a sudden, these empty t empty cages with all this cork bark, now they have action going. You know, the ones that have the diurnal stuff, those are shut down. You got something else. It really, uh, to me, that's been, that's so much fun. 
And that's the thing compared to the rack situation where it's like, okay, there's, you know, good and bad to everything, but that's a benefit to me a hundred percent. Oh yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. And you can see it. You can see it in the aperture, you know, of their, oh, their yeah. people and stuff where it's like, okay, they're, they're definitely, there's some perception there, but you can tell that they're perceiving it differently just based on the aperture of the pupil where yeah. it's like, okay, you're clearly um, not getting a ton of, of light feedback. So I'm seeing that natural nocturnal behavior, at least as close as I practicably can, you know? Sure. And like for the people that are listening, like they have these big, gorgeous boom slang eyes like these just yeah. big dome eyes it's awesome yeah. speaking of the new episode of the colubra corner uh yeah on the jacksons yeah, yeah well, me and phil were just talking about those a couple of weeks ago yeah i haven't yeah. listened to it i gotta listen to it the thrasops yeah they understood that bite a little bit maybe but uh you know let's see Dude, they were such a handful. Yeah, those are cool. They were such a handful back in the day, man. Like, I kept them all wrong. Like, just the hindsight, you know? Sure. I kept them <laughs> in tubs with cardboard boxes as hides. And, like, dude, they just wanted they just wanted to go home. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Like they, were, they were just like, leave me alone. Don't touch me. You know? it was Stranger ugh. danger. It's like, yeah, I'll eat this bird. Don't look at me. <laughs> they give you that Close look. your eyes. Divert your eyes. I'm going to eat this bird real quick. It's fine. They want to, uh, so one funny bit out of that. So they're, they're doing a lot of the Asian stuff, which is obviously very exciting, you know, exciting to me, stuff that I really like. And um, so I know that I was just talking to Eric this evening and as the, uh, the CEO of the NPR network, he had put the, <laughs> put the hammer down and said, you have to talk to Rob, you know, so that we're uh, getting some input on some of these things saying like, oh, okay, what is the captive status of these? How do you breathe? You know, how do you, okay. We're not just going to have you um, making random guesses about breeding uh, porphyraceous stuff. Like uh, let's talk through this, that, you know, just take, get a few notes, a few notes from the producer and we'll uh, make sure we stay on track here. Well, it's, Rob, Rob Stone is the consigliere of yeah. the NPR network. Right. We'll keep a you know keep us on track here, man. So he's like the, the key, the key mask, the key maker in the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> uh, aren't you glad you came on the show tonight? <laughs> uh, no, it's been a ton of fun. I'm I'm just glad you know Justin's feeling so much better. This is all good, yeah. man. All yeah. good. Yeah, COVID ain't no fun. In case anyone was wondering. Uh, if you value getting oxygen in your brain, um, even when you're trying to take a leak, then I recommend highly not contracting that virus. The Rona. <laughs> the COVID. That's that's my the favorite. COVID. That I, the COVID. The COVID. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, like like I was telling Phil before we started recording, like thank God I'm not an asthmatic or something. Cause I can totally see if someone had like a preexisting respiratory condition or something, that stuff would push you on your ass so quick. Like it's no wonder ventilators were such an issue across the board because I mean, I consider myself healthy, you know, for the most part. And I was like, I did anything. If I got up and I, if I walked the dog to the end of the driveway, I'm like gasping for air. It was just, Oh, it was horrible. <clears throat> now well, I just want my taste buds back so I can enjoy my cigars fully again. You sound like me. 
<laughs> Jesus. Ugh. Someone did compliment your voice yesterday, Phil. They're like, let me see, actually. What was... I have to read it verbatim because it was just too good okay. to... I can't, I can't butcher it. Who was it, though? Where was it? Someone messaged me. Messaged you privately. And said... Oh, it was me. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, the great Rob Stone listens to the Herpeticulture podcast to go to bed every night. Hmm. <laughs> Damn it. Oh my goodness. What are those healers doing, man? Yeah, what's uh, up with those? I meant to bring those up earlier. Uh, they're, um, they're not liking each other is what they're doing. So the boy is worse than a virgin on prom night. Uh-huh. And he basically is just like, come on, let's go. Like, 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 let's do this. Let's do this. And she's like, get away from me. Don't touch me. And like her sole goal is to climb out. And like, I put cork in there, like you recommended. And I put newspaper down. I have a uh, inkless newspaper. I buy it by the roll for yeah. some of the Cobras. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's just, it's just a shit show. Like, I think, I really think I didn't get the temps low enough. I think maybe, Maybe it's just the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe next year might just be better. I'm going to put them. I, I didn't listen to you. I was going to just be like, first mistake. And just put them together and just walk away. And if I come home to a dead lizard, I come home to a dead lizard. But I, I couldn't do it, bro. And I got what? so much things going on with work and everything. I'm like, I can't be at work thinking about, am I going to come right. home to a dead lizard? So, uh, I and as a more, project, I hear you, man. Like, yeah. it's a whole different. I mean, you wouldn't want. Obviously, yeah. that's the result you wouldn't want under any circumstance, but that just yeah. makes it that much. Yeah, yeah. I was actually I I'm not even afraid that I'm not afraid that he's going to kill her. I'm afraid that I'm going to come home and she's going to be missing a limb, right. and like just die of blood loss or something. Like that's like in my mind, like yeah. it's going to be like crocodiles death rolling and shit. So, I just I want to thank you personally though because you have literally guided me through this whole process and everything that you've said. Hey, do this. It has worked like a million bucks and you have been a fucking saint and I love you. Um, Ryan Reed as well. Ryan Reed helped me out a lot in terms of like his perspective of things. So I, I've text got, him. I haven't talked to Reed in a minute. I know we got to call. We got to get him on here, man. That's what we got to do. Um, but what's today? Today's Thursday. So I'm going to do it again tomorrow night and then probably, and I'm going in the glade Saturday night overnight. So probably Sunday night I'll do it again. And if I can't get a lock by then, I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave him along. So, yeah, I'm like really upset. I can't find this. What are you looking for, God? That message because it oh, made me laugh. Yeah. The love note. The love note. Was it from a girl? No, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> maybe, well, that's why, maybe that's why it was so funny. I'll take it. Why not? <clears throat> maybe it was Paul McIntyre. I could see him doing that. I don't know. No. If it was Paul, I'll allow it. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. Now I'm just, I'll have to hunt it down and send it to you. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> oh. This was a ton of fun, guys. I really enjoyed it. And uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, again at some point, you know, I, I don't like doing you know, I don't like doing it to the extent that I love listening to you guys on the show and all. And I, I don't like it when it's me because, you know, uh, it's fun to do it at the time, but then I can't listen to it later. So why uh, can't you? It's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's all right, but it's not it's not the same. You know, it's not yeah, all the same. So I got you. Um, you know, so it's the the good and the bad. But uh, yeah, really great talking to you guys. Really Dude, we love, love having you on. It's any time. Like I, I said, asked, I have you on every week if I could. <clears throat> I asked Smitty a couple days ago. I said, "Hey, man, you know how you feeling? When do you want to start recording again?" He's like, oh, "I think I'll be good in another day or two. You know, I feel really, I feel much better than I did." I was like, "Well, you got anybody lined up?" And he's like, "Yeah, I want to get Rob back on." And I was like, "Yes, sold American. Yes." Oh gosh. So no, all good, man. man. No, it's great fun, and I got to check out the. Um, so I haven't smoked a cigar in a while. I used to really like, and that was you know see my old Twitter staff of doing that. That's I don't even want to get down this. Is you know what I thought we were gonna chat about that stuff, but we'll just have to figure that out at some other point because there's too much, too much okay. there. What I do want to do, and you know pitch certainly to other folks. I'm sure they're already gone, but the monthly sampler thing you're doing that's that's really super cool, man. And that you have all that insight and knowledge of trying to pick great stuff and all that. I think that's uh, for folks like me, even, you know, who a long time ago were, you know, smoking a fair bit and all. It's like the the insight that you have is invaluable compared to all these online things and all that. There's a lot of marketing BS and all that. Yeah. So yeah. And we've, we have a lot of like in that group, we have a lot of people that are just getting into cigars, you know, be it because, you know, me and Phil talk about them a whole lot or whatever, but it's to be able to sort of lead people in the right direction and be like, this is stuff that is good. Like you're getting a deal. Like I'm not going to recommend you something that I think is not worth the money or garbage. You know? Right. Right. I think yeah. that it's, it's intimidating to a lot of people getting into it. you know, it's a lot like wine. It's like, where do you start? You know? yeah. 100%, man. And I'll say that I haven't got every sampler just because I'm neglectful and I forget and whatever, but the samplers that I have got almost every single pack, at least two, sometimes three of the smokes in there are ones that I frequently enjoy on my own. And like, that's just a testament to like Justin's, you know, ability to pick a selection, you know, it's all good top notch stuff. And then there's so much stuff I've never had because they just don't have it by me, you know, hundred percent. Just got to get people the good stuff, the goods. I'm trying to plan what the next, uh, what the auction for next month will be. Oh, so that'll be that'll be good. I try to make that something something good too. So cool, man. Well, yeah, Rob, I can't, I, I can't find this I'm giving up. Yeah, give up on it. Who cares? It made me laugh. I'll hunt it down. But. All right, you hunt it down. But yeah, Rob, thanks for coming on, man. We fucking love you. We're gonna have those shirts made. Rob Stone is my hero. <laughs> oh Lord. And, uh, yeah, uh, were you aware of it by the way? I sent him. The, yeah, I sent him the screenshot. Yeah, okay. he sent me something. Uh, it's Good. Those are happening. Y'all are crazy. So I appreciate it though. And I really appreciate talking to you guys. Always love talking to you. So awesome, we'll have man. to do it, uh, do it again at some point here. We'll let other people get on so that I can, I can listen to them and all, but uh, you got to yeah. do it again. You can't lurk forever. Right. on. You got, a, you got a lot of knowledge in that brain. Damn it. We're going to mine it. <laughs> yeah. As much as we can. <laughs> right on guys. Well, you have a great night. I've had a ton of fun. Right. You too. Take it easy. Thank, Thank you, man. Bye. <clears throat> oh. Episode 109. 109. 
I'm glad we're back. I'm ready for snakes and stogies on Monday. Yeah, man. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I can't. I did not know that a VSG and a Leaf were gonna be in that last pack. Yeah. So like now I'm torn for Monday night. Do I smoke the Leaf or the VSG? Well, I, I, I sent it out. I sent yours out today, so it should be there well before then. Okay, good, good. I was gonna say because I haven't had either one of those smokes in quite some time. Well, I had you in mind when I was like, man, we got a ton of VSGs we need to, yeah. we need to move. I was like, Phil's going to like this one. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Ashton, baby. It's oh. just, man, like I, like I said, I try to like keep like that. You, you're getting way more than $55 for that pack. Sure, you know, of course. As far as value, you know, I try to yeah. mix it with stuff like higher end stuff, but also some like everyday stuff, you know, so they're all, uh, you know, I've been fortunate that my employer has not tried to sort of dissect them a little more and been like, well, let's take this one out. Let's do this. He's been pretty on board with, with, I send him the list. I'm like, here's what it costs. Like, here's what the retail is. Here's what we're selling it for. And he's usually like, cool. So nice. Yeah. And it also, it doesn't like, there's a lot of clubs where you can tell they're just pushing old product. Yeah. Old, or just crap. Yeah. Or, or better yet, it's, it's stuff that they thought would sell and it didn't. So after, you know, three or four months, they're like, you know what, it, get rid of it, push it out, push the fish. It's about to turn, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, stuff like that Tatuaje, that Capa Special, like that's a great yeah. little cigar, but Tatuaje yeah. just historically has not done well for us in the shop. And it's, I don't, you know, part of it's the price point because some of their other stuff is a little higher end, like like $14, $15 range, um, which is kind of a hard sell to begin with. And then Tatuaje is historically strong cigars all the time, like, but that little Kappa, man, like I'm going to have to get me one of those in the morning because that actually sounds really good right now. Those nice. are, uh, that's a great little smoke. It's a good size, really, really good flavor to it. Though we've actually been sitting on those a long time too. Like a lot of that stuff. Um, I mean, I've, I've been upfront with it, but like those packs, a lot of it is stuff that we either have too much in stock, like we have too much inventory on. Um, but I mean, that's that's not a lot of it. Like most of it is stuff that I'm like, people should smoke more of these because they are very good. Yeah. But even the stuff that we have too much on, like it's still stuff that I, I would recommend and stuff that I, you know, I smoke. It's not like, Oh, we got a ton of these EP Carrillo encores. Yeah. You know, we got to get rid of them, which I don't, I mean, it's not a bad cigar. I just don't think they're all that good and I don't think they're worth the money. And so it's not going to be one of those things where I put it in the pack, you know, just because we have to get them gone. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, if Raj was like, Hey, I have a, let's, you know, if let's give out a free encore in this next pack, like that'd be one thing. Yeah, but to charge people and be like, "Yeah, this encore is really good," and be like, "No, it's it's a cigar. It's it's okay. It's not bad. I don't know why I got cigar of the year, but whatever. Um, you know, so they are handpicked by me strategically. There's I love it. It's great. Mistaken about it. Actually, I have them all written down through like March. I don't even know what the next one's going to be. I got to look. But all right. Well, good stuff, man. Oh yeah, next one's gonna be good. <laughs> yes, so. it's got a T fifty two in it. Yeah, my man, breaking up. I, I don't. Know, we'll have to see. I don't know if Roger's gonna let that fly or not because Liga Bravada stuff has been hard to get in lately. Yeah, it's been a, been kind of tough to get that out of Drew Estate in the recent months. So we'll see. But um, yeah, but even but still, I mean, how much you sell a fifty two? Uh, you know, Toro for. Uh, fourteen ninety five. Okay, so that's normal. So even if that was a normal price, like full price, it's that's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? 
think this is the, I put the robusto on there because we we typically okay. have more robustos in those than the other okay. sizes. But, but still, like even if we're paying one, obviously we want to get the discount as part of the, the perk of having the the club and the Facebook group and everything else. But even if you're paying full price for one stick, who cares? It's it's going to be great to the selection, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but. It's neither here nor there. This has been episode 109 of the Herpeticulture Podcast, part of the Herpeticulture Network, which is brought to you by MP Cages and Exotics and Steve Snakeshire and his Venom Hot Sauce. Check both of them out on Facebook. Yes. And, uh, we'll see you all Monday, 9 o'clock Eastern Time on the Herpeticulture Network YouTube channel for Snakes and Stogies 62. 60, yeah. Are we going to do 61 redo? We'll just call it 62. 61 will forever be lost and when people wonder whatever happened episode 61 we'll say we don't know we don't know it never happened so. no but we, i mean we did we did take 61 down just yeah got a little off the rails yeah it was a little uh, it was a bit of a departure we, so we strive to put out top quality content and we felt that that episode was not our best so it, it was will, if you heard it, you heard it. If you didn't, you didn't miss anything. You didn't miss much. Yeah, I was. I actually ended up leaving early because I was. That was when the illness started. So I was there for like. I was there for like what forty five minutes an hour, and then yeah, I, about that. and then I don't. I was asleep by the time it ended. So yeah, we actually we didn't even start talking about snakes until almost the two hour mark, and by then like a two was, and a half hour show. Yeah, and then by then it was too far gone to recover it, but there will be more. We will have our boys back on and life will be yeah. great. But speaking of beautiful YouTube content. Oh, yes. There's actually a selfless, selfless plug. Um, the sidecar of Venom to the Herpeticulture Network, Venomous Etiquette Videos on YouTube. Uh, the first episode is on there. It is not long. They're about... It's about eight minutes on that one. Yeah, eight and change. Uh, Venomous Etiquette videos are videos produced by myself to basically go over the safety protocols and tactics of handling venomous reptiles in captivity. So if you're curious about how to do things methodically, thinking outside the box, and basically just listening to safety class on handling venomous reptiles, I highly recommend you take a gander at it. Venomous Etiquette. How to do it properly. How to do it properly. So... It's only one episode out so far, and that's on actually entering the Venomous Room. Uh, I'll hopefully have more out in the next week or two, and we'll go from there. Yes. Venomous Etiquette Videos. Check it out. You did really good with it. I liked it a lot. Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot of stuff people don't really think about, things to check. Yeah. And it's always crazy because like, when you do these videos, like I mapped all this out, and I, I wrote out like, you know, mental storyboard of how I wanted to frame everything out. And after I put it up on YouTube, I was like, man. I forgot to mention this. I forgot to mention that. Of course. This, this, yep. that always happens. So that's just time for more videos, you know? Well, that just means like once a month, you can go back and have some like additional information on from previous yeah, videos, you that's know, like true. recaps or, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So Venom said I can videos, check it out. Yes. It's very good, but we will see y'all Monday evening. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks again to Rob for coming on. Check him out at High Plains for Pediculture on Facebook and Instagram. He's the man. He is the man. 
Robstone is our hero. That's right. In Robstone, we trust. In Robstone, we trust. That should be a shirt. That should be a shirt. Just a silhouette of him. I love yep. it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Or believe, better yet, believe like, in the rock. Gotta do like the Andy Warhol, like the, the little, yeah. you know, the Andy Warhol thing. <laughs> like those Obama hair. shirts with the hope. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or like the Marilyn Monroe where it's like, six of them, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. On that note, good night, kids. <laughs> See you later.